Hi, I'm Tom Scholey, co-writer and artist of Transformers vs. G.I. Joe and creator of American Barbarian, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> I got too much shit on my desktop here. I just noticed like icons? that. No, like little toys. Oh, uh, like on your real life. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah, on the actual physical desktop. I got Transformers and Thundercats and friggin' more Transformers and Minecraft and Funko Pops. Like, there's no room to do anything. Why do I litter my space with these little people? Yeah, it happens over time. It does. And then you gotta swap them out for the new ones. Yeah. But I guess that's fun. I got a new desk uh, because I work from home now, so it's not cluttered up yet. It's, I mean, it has some clutter, but it's not like the old one was. Skating desk? It's like an in-betweeny. It's, I'm yeah. sitting on like a bar stool. Love I can it. stand up if I need to. It's like a work table from a garage, but it's just in the back room of our house. It's amazing how words trigger things. You said in-betweeny, and I thought Ian Dury and the Blockheads. <laughs> it's, your brain is a weird, weird thing. It's true. Yeah, and this how is how did you get there? How did I get there? Well, Ian Dury has a song called "In Betweenies." There it is. And All as right. soon as you said "In Betweenies," I I heard the melody in my head. It's crazy. It's like a, it's like a kind of dog. Yeah, there's like mini dog and a regular sized dog, and then my dog is an in betweenie. <laughs> She's like not mini, but not full size. Stop saying that word. I'm not going to be able to get it <laughs> out of my head. All right, everybody. Hey, look at this. It's eleven o'clock comics episode six hundred and eighty eight. And I'm Vince B. You are Vince B. And I am David A. Price. The boy is gone yet again. Takes more vacations than the president. Uh, so, Ooh. yeah, that's a lot. So uh, what we did is we brought in some family to take his place and elevate this here joint. The man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, you've heard him here many, many, many times before. I don't even have to introduce him. Tony Fleece. Hey, everybody. Hey. Happy to be back. I've, yep. I've, every time I hear somebody on this show that's not me, I'm just like, well, why don't they call me? You, <laughs> you are the unofficial fourth chair. Hey, you know what? If you want to get comics, get them fast, get them cheap, get them delivered right to your door. There's only one place to go, and that's Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. Everything in the previous catalog at a mere fraction of the retail price. The list, the list is up. I'm so happy. I've already placed my order because that's how I do. Uh, and I've selected some stuff that I think you should be aware of. Number one, from Marvel. Yes, Marvel. I don't usually pimp the Marvel stuff, but in this case, it's justified. It is Conan the Barbarian by Jason Aaron and Mahmoud Asrar. The first 12 issues. Uh, it's a hardcover. I hope they put the text pages in there too, but uh, it it doesn't really say here, but fingers crossed. Uh, thirty four ninety nine is the cover price on this bad boy, which isn't really bad for a twelve issue Marvel series, right? But you laugh at that price. You say I'm not going to pay that. I'm paying seventeen dollars and forty nine cents, yo, because I go to DCBService.com. I'm smart. Yeah, yo. The meat in the middle is a brand spanking new series by somebody we just mentioned. Mr. Rick Remender and Luis La Rosa on art with Moreno Denicio. It is the scumbag. It's a six issue limited series, I think. Yes. 
Um, cover price. Look at that. Three ninety nine. It's a trend. You are going to bring this home for a dollar ninety nine. Here's the pitch: Jazz Apple Armageddon. I love that already. Part one: The fate of the world rests in the hands of the worst person on it. New ongoing series, which contradicts what I said about it being a limited series. From the writer of Deadly Class, yes, Rick Remender launches an all-new comedy espionage series, The Scumbag. The story of Ernie Ray Clementine, a profane, illiterate, drug-addicted biker with a fifth-grade education. He could be president. He's the only thing standing between us and total Armageddon because his dummy accidentally received a power-imbuing serum, making him the world's most powerful super spy. New ongoing series will feature a murderer's row of all-star artistic talent rotating each issue. The first issue showcases the stunning work of Louis LaRosa, and yes it is, with subsequent chapters and covers by brilliant talents such as, write this down, Andrew Robinson, Eric Powell, Tula Lote, Wes Craig, Roland Bashi, Simone DeMeo, Marguerite Savage, Duncan Figredo, Yannick Paquette, Mike McCone, Dave Johnson, and Moreno Denisio. My God, why wouldn't you buy into this series? It's crazy. It, they should call it All Star Scumbag. But anyway, <laughs> like I said, three ninety nine cover price. You're going to pay one dollar ninety nine cents. And last but absolutely not least, from DC, Daniel Warren Johnson. It's the Wonder Woman Dead Earth hardcover. Connects it connects and collects. All four issues of the Black Label Wonder Woman Dead Earth series by Daniel. $29.99 cover price. Ha ha ha. 50% off for you. $14.99. Where are you going to find this thing for $14.99? Other than Discount Comic Book Service. Nowhere. I am confident in that claim. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions. And you get your book shipped super securely right to the front door of your home, it's too damn easy. They should put a couple of speed bumps along the way, but they don't because they want to make it as easy as possible for you. DCBService.com. Love them. Yeah. They are good at what they do. Let's swing it. Hey, Tony. Do it. Hey. How you feeling? What you up to? Uh, Not too much. I'm working. I mean, I'm stopping to talk to you guys, but generally I'm just working. Uh had a a pretty big week this week. Uh, My Little Pony Transformers finally came out uh, in stores. I'm a I'm a kind of guy that just has a lot of books that were supposed to be out a long time ago, and they are just not out uh, until today. So this one was supposed to come out before the pandemic. Uh, it was supposed to be a weekly, right? Like a, like a fifth week of. Or I guess there's only four issues. I guess it was just a non like a fourth week event. Uh, come out every week but i talked to retailers and they were like don't do that so in this way it worked out better for them i think in every other conceivable way they're worse off than when when this first thing when this horrible pandemic first started right so they don't like the weekly uh books they like them monthly is that yeah yeah like the weekly pace is a little too quick to be able to gauge you know like do you need reorders Uh, makes sense Yeah. yeah They could sell more of that number one if they had more time, you know, before the number two comes out to, you know. I would imagine maybe depending on, uh, well, Marvel and DC don't help because Marvel's got an X book out every week. So I was going to think if if you might have some customers who don't make it to the shop every week, yeah. then they might miss one of those issues as well. 
Well, that Marvel, I feel like, is doing a reverse because that Empire is out every week every, now. Yes, it is. It is. And everything ties into it. And, yeah. And, it's, and, and today, I was... Um, and it was going to be monthly, though, right? Or at least not weekly? I, I, I think the tie-ins... Well, maybe they're trying to play catch-up. I don't... Maybe they're trying to time it for when things... When it was supposed to end originally. I don't yeah. But they have a handbook out for it now, which I thought was pretty neat because <laughs> I'm like, hey, you're bringing the handbooks back. Yeah, into that. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm doing that, uh, having that book out. I'm, I've been working on My Little Pony, you guys know, for like eight years. Uh, but I'm off right now uh, working on a as-yet-unannounced Rick and Morty book uh, for Oni. Uh, that's a four-issue thing. Um and I'm working on the second issue of that right now and covers for the for all four issues. Uh, so I've just been plugging away on that. Um, and then I've got sort of news on uh, Time Shopper, which I came on here and talked about months ago. It was supposed to be out in January. Uh, that got horrifically derailed by the pandemic and even before that by the horrible sales <laughs> that, it, that it garnered before the pandemic. It was always it was my little problem guy. Um, so that was originally going to be an Action Lab comic, like they were putting it out as a hardcover, and because they had all sorts of stuff going on, like in terms of pandemic and people shuffling around and stuff, I was able to just get the book back. So uh, it's just going to be, I think I'm just going to kickstart it at this point and just get it out that way and still try and find a way to get it in shops, but rather than... Uh, have to split the book with any publisher or anything like that. I just got all my rights back and I'm just going to put the thing out. So I'm sure I'll let you guys know when that's happening. But oh, if anybody cool. was interested when I came on and talked about that, uh, the book is, has been finished. It is mostly not my fault that it's not out right now, but uh, I guess from now on it will be my fault because I got to get on the ball and do it myself now. So what do you think in prestige format, hardcover, both European style, hardcover, uh, yeah, like because you know it's just a forty-eight pager, but I, I we drew it and planned it in that format, so it's square like that. Um, and when I was at Action Lab, they had a, a a format that they like to do because the retailers that they worked with like stuff to fit on the shelf, right. so they wanted it to be the same same width as comic. Um, and so that made it shorter because we'd already right. like did the ratio for European size, so. That's sort of one of the pluses of getting it back, too, is that we're going to get to do an actual size, like a big, you know, important-seeming hardcover about this nonsense time travel comedy. Um, yeah, so. That, Isn't that, that amazing sort of that. that the method by which something is sold determines the package? Yeah. That, I, 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 don't, I just don't understand. Like, I understand that from a, a sales point of view, but that's an unnatural imposition yeah. on on the art like let's just make it what it wants to be and then we'll see if if we can accommodate in the shops and well, you would and think I'm, that something that looks different would stand out for sure but yeah. yeah it's just like what they're used to setting up and i'm sure you know if it was like if if it was the ed brubaker sean phillips thing that came out uh and they wanted to do it european format like it'd be fine for you know they could make room for that because they know they're going to move it but sure. this one you know, where it's yeah. something where they got to do a little more selling. I don't know. But I do think it's a little bit uh, like I take responsibility for it myself because I'm so headstrong that like I before anybody said that they would publish the thing or before 
uh, you know, people told me what size they wanted it to be at a publisher. I was just like, well, I'm going to make this full book. It's going to be hardcover. It's going to be this shape, you know, like, and then I sort of tried to get somebody to help me out and put it together from there. And then that's when you sort of run into people's, uh, specifications and the, what, what they do, you know, hell is other people, Vince. Oh, you're not kidding. Yes. <laughs> that is very, very, very true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, all good with those guys. Like they were very cool. Just gave us the rights right back. I didn't have to, you know, grovel or beg or pay the money or anything. So that's all good. But now it's just, I got to figure out how to kickstart something. I think what with things being the way they are and us in uh, uncharted territory, at this point, it's just like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, nobody wants to create waves because little waves lead to bigger waves and nobody needs that kind of stuff right now. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, but I'm glad it, it, it's all working out and I'm sure the, the Kickstarter will do gangbusters and uh, you'll be on here every week to promote it and wonderful. <laughs> yeah, hope so. <laughs> I hope to, like, my dream for it is that I'll be able to have enough copies that I can still, because it sold very, I mean, I'm sure I've said, I've said this on this show many times, but, like, it sold very poorly. And I think I could get enough printed that I could just still hook up those retailers that ordered those copies, you know. I could just send it to them on consignment or just, like, here, thank you for, you know, because it means a lot somebody ordered some stuff for me in the first place. And I, I feel a little bit on the hook to to hook them up with that you know as a thank you so hopefully i'll still be able to send some books out to these retailers that's my my goal is to make enough extra that i can you know i don't expect to make a ton of money off of it i just want to be able to get it out there and and let people have it you know that just Uh, illustrates one of the things i love best about you besides the size of your heart which seems to be gigantic anyway (laughs) it's enlarged for sure yeah uh you're so freaking honest like we this is the era of lies and and you're not playing the game by saying you know yeah orders were they fell short you know you, you the way everybody else seemingly does it is oh yeah we met our goal but we decided we could do better in yeah. an, in another uh arena you know they they always spin it to make it look positive when they're really saying yeah it didn't really meet expectations but you just come right out and say you know boom i didn't get the orders i wanted to get and well, that I mean, that's if refreshing. If it's stuff that's out of my hands, I don't feel any reason to to be, to beat around the bush about it. You know, it's just like uh, the I we hired a guy to help do PR. We went and got like you know all the stuff you're supposed to do, print pieces and you know uh, interviews. We, I talked to the guy that wrote Back to the Future about my book that hasn't come out yet. You know, and he like he recommended it. They put an article up on Forbes. I think it's in the print Forbes, but it's just you know like at the end of the day, shops got a lot of stuff they need to order. Right. And until you know, until I'm a, a brand, you know, I'll, I still got to hustle and and make it happen. I I think the book's good, and so. I'll be uh, cagey about that, you know. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, not gonna talk about the, the quality of the book in any sort of way that's that's like a, not a hundred percent. I'm I'm struggling for words. But as far as like stuff that I'm not in control of, like what it sold or you right. know, if I feel like we did everything we could and then it just didn't work out, then it's like you know it just didn't work out. Yeah. Well, the quality is certainly there. I mean, we we are lucky enough to get a glimpse at it. Uh, yeah. way back and it's uh, it's it's great so oh 
and also uh, the publisher wanted to skew it sort of towards uh, all ages. And now that that's not there anymore, like we it, like we put the language back in. You know, there's no uh, I can't remember what it was called, like a a French handshake. Right. We're just putting hand jobs back in the book. You know, like it's a sweet. It's a a pure adolescent dick joke comic book once again nice so, see this could work out for the best been begging for they're just like can these white men just say stuff about dicks again please let's give them their <laughs> voice there's not enough uh <laughs> dick talk out there people have really been begging for it you know this representation where 40 year old white dudes just do comic books about you know nonsense people have really out there in the streets hoping that this will happen <laughs> So the Rick and Morty thing, you're writing it and drawing it? I'm just drawing it. Oh, um, nice. The artist is, uh, or the writer's a, a, a dude named Josh Trujillo, who's written some other Rick and Morty stuff. And then there's another artist, too, because it's like, uh, it, it takes place in different uh, universes, you know, like different uh, dimensions. And so I draw the dimensions uh where the Morty adventure's happening, and then there's a Rick adventure happening in another dimension. Let me look this dude's name up. I, I feel like a real jerk for not remembering. But Yeah, you're going to make me buy Rick and Morty, aren't you? <laughs> well, it's only four issues. I think it'll be okay. I think I would do better with the comics than the show. Um, I don't know about that. I don't... I, see, I, I'll be totally I, I honest for you. The show moves way too fast for me. I can't concentrate the plot line okay. just screams along the dialogue is right. is bang 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 i it it, are short it gives me the ajita so because i can't i can't immerse myself in it because i'm not catching stuff and right. you know so i would think if i had it on the on the page where i could take my time and right. and just plow into it at my own little speed which is slow i will admit you know and that in that context, then yes, what's on the page would would to get the story across be better suited, I believe. I'm, I'm coming at it from the angle where I think you're going to lose. Yes, it is. It is a little frenetic. It's it's fast paced, and I. But I think you're going to lose some of the personality. I, like the the, the comic. Hey. I mean, what who um. <laughs> Son of a bitch! What the hell was his um? Kyle Starks when he? I mean, he wrote it. I think he wrote the comic for like maybe five years. I mean, he wrote like almost all sixty of those issues. So, uh, you know, the the comic is successful, and I'm sure it's successful because of the fans of the show. But the and and it's because of the fans of the show. They're going to read the comic, so 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 they know how the characters are supposed to sound. They 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 get what's going on on the page they, they have that context it, it's it's built in for them someone just reading it straightforward i i hope it is um i don't i don't want to say entry level but i hope it is easy to, i hope it i hope it's easy to jump into and still get the gist of the cartoon on the printed page well and, i have and, i think two seasons on blu-ray and and i st- i started watching it if you don't want. no i got it. And, and i <laughs> started only three seasons too i started to watch it and I made it through like four or five episodes and I just got up and I said, fuck this. I, I, I have zero recall of what I just saw. Like, yeah, okay, this alien that looks like Freddy Krueger, I get it. But what the hell's going on? And it was just, I, it's far too fast paced for me. It's super fast. 
and then and then there will be stuff that happens where it's just like a one-off gag will come back later on yes but but the good thing about it is i don't think it's ever tied to the story in a way that matters so much you know like you can watch an episode and then watch an episode you know two seasons later and still jump on you know like they're just like little sci-fi comedy stories you know right right. real fast and it's it's not a uh a a perception thing because I love the the most the densest of the Adult Swim like Super Jail. I, when it gets crazy and chaotic, <laughs> yeah. I I enjoy it. But it just seems like there's there's an intelligence, there's a an information qu- quotient to Rick and Morty that you need to pay attention to. Like Super yeah. Jail is just mayhem, you know, and it's murder, mayhem, bloodshed. I can I can watch that and and tune out. But when I have to discern and 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 lock on to the reason why this thing is funny which is not slapstick i mean i know in a lot of cases it is in rick and morty but the intel the, the humor level is is founded in uh, an intelligence that's yeah. that's hard to decipher when it's moving by at like 150 miles an hour i think if you like if you do lock on with it at some point you'll really dig it because this like I'm sure there's stuff that I haven't seen that goes darker, but this show gets so dark. Like it's fucking grim. Like I'm a fan like, of dark. That's the darkest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I know you are. So like, <laughs> I watched it. I'm just like, like heartbreaking, nightmarishly dark stuff where you're just like, why are they doing this? You know, like, and uh, I like, like that's the sort of stuff that I dig, and I know you dig that too. Yeah. So I w- I would be interested to hear your thoughts on like some of the crate like crazier more heartbreaking stuff they do on the show because they do like it's a trick with animated characters uh it was something i'm gonna talk about tonight where like the abstracted cartoony character you feel for them uh more immediately because you there's nothing there's no barrier keeping you apart you know like you don't look too much alike to be like oh that guy should be able to take care of himself or whatever uh and so like this you know like if morty is you know gets his heart broken or you know gets his arm amputated or something like you feel for him in a real immediate sort of way plus anyway. the, emo- the emotions are rendered in shorthand Every- everything's yeah. distilled down to simple shapes which is i think more devastating than yeah. if you have whatever her name was from the Blair witch project dropping snot into the camera lens like that's <laughs> you know it's it's heather. visceral but yeah i get heather it. was her name heather, heather. yes heather yeah. So, should we talk comics? I mean, you let's wanna? maybe maybe a little bit. Yeah. Let's, let's get, get going. It. I've been reading comics. Well, what have you? What, yeah. Specifically, what? Uh, well, have, did either of you guys read Pulp? Not yet. I it's, know you talked about it in your travels last week, Jason. It was Jason's in your travel last week. I touched on it briefly thanks to the image preview the week prior. Uh, I should have it in my box that I think arrives tomorrow. Same. Well, mine's not coming tomorrow, but same. Uh, yeah, I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, like, I won't go through doing the the beat by beat on it, but it's fucking great. Uh, and I mean, it, like, to no one's surprise, like right. those guys are always great. Um, but this one, in that it's a novella, it's just sort of like a one and done. Like, all my heroes have been junkie, or my heroes have always been junkies was also that but it was also like s- slightly tied into criminal you know so there's like some connection to it where like if you're like me and you have to see every episode of the show or read every issue of the comic you're like all right i'll read that when i get caught up to that point you know like i had to have read all the other criminal before i dove into this one this one you can just pick it up and go and it sort of is 
like quintessential Brubaker Phillips. You know, like it's Western um, and it's about that, you know, like it's it's sort of like got real emotional, grounded, but like pulpy, action-packed Western stuff. But the story is about a writer who writes these pulps who also had been the cowboy that he's writing about, you know? So he's like, he's writing these stories that are his, like his biography, but he writes them as these pulp stories because there's a time in American history where, you know, if you're old enough that you could live in a city, but have, you know, and be a writer, but have been a cowboy, you know, when you were in your twenties, you know, like that's how fast this country all came together. Um, and so it's about that. And it's just super interesting. And and like, uh, like the Pinkertons come in and Nazis come in and it's just like, uh, as I'm reading it, I'm like, Oh, this is really pulpy, you know, but it's the, the thing that Brubaker and Phillips are so great at is that they do all that stuff where if it just happened in like a action movie or a crime movie, you'd be like, ah, oh, badass. But it, you also really, really feel for the characters. Uh, and that's, this is one of the best examples of that that I think they've ever done. It's so fucking good. Like I got like tingles at the end of it when I finished it, which <laughs> rarely ever happens, never happens. You know, I didn't cry while reading it, which I think maybe has happened, you know, like twice in my life. But this, like I got, I was so charged up at the end of it that I was just like, I can't wait to tell people about this. It's so fucking good. Uh, it's so fucking good. You should tweet about your crying. Like, like most people. <laughs> I'm crying as I type. Yeah, okay. Bullshit. Uh, but I, w- I would uh, kill anyone that told people I was crying in the moment if I was crying. <laughs> well, how <laughs> about swear my, my wife to secrecy? <laughs> Brew Baker and Phillips—they're animals. They just—I I think I read today or yesterday that there's a three OGN cycle coming out from Image, of which Pulp is the first. Like they got to be doing comics twenty-four-seven. Well, yeah, I think Phillips is just really fast, and you know. Mm-hmm writers can write fast you know i mean like i'm not d- diminishing what they do but you know it doesn't take as long to write a thing as it does to draw a thing and right they seem to have got a system out now where brubaker pretty much just does the sean phillips stuff right like it, it, i mean sure mm-hmm. works in like, their mediums and stuff but like they really distilled it down to this perfect thing you know yeah, yeah. did you and s- then the colors like jacob phillips is doing the colors now it's just like such a contained you know, unit. Yeah. Yeah. It's keeping in the family. Um, but Phillips, he, he mystifies me, uh, how (laughs) you can be that good and be that fast too. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, people say it's photos, which I guess sometimes it is, but even that, like you got to take the pictures, you know, like, yeah. (laughs) Reference doesn't just fall in your lap. Yeah. And it's, and so he's, you know, he's not one of these ones where it it doesn't have character if he uses photos, but right. Yeah, I'm just looking at it right now. It always works, you know. Like they've really have, they've really dialed in a thing. And and this one, uh, like I said, but more than some of the others. But I think also that's just because it's so condensed and like the commitment. You know, it feels good to be done with a thing too. You know, like I read the first probably ten Killer Be Killeds, and then I was like, all right, I'm just gonna get the collection of this. But then when the collection came out, it's so enormous that it's just been sitting there on my. Uh, like on my regime for years that I'm, I just haven't, I haven't read the end of the series cause it's so intimidatingly huge. I got to jump back to the beginning of it and it felt good to just be able to sit down and do this in one. Yeah. I'm going to pick up the collection too. I, I started on the singles and then for whatever reason, 
um, it just fell by the wayside. And uh, that was around issue maybe three. So uh, I have them, but I don't want to dig them all up. So I'll just get the, the collection and read that. Uh, that's the one. That's the blank spot in the Brubaker Phillips. Well, um, for me, the blank spot is um, not uh, not incognito. What's the well, um, fade out? Yes. No, not fade out. Um, no. Um, uh, fatality. Fatale. Fatale. Yeah. But that's I didn't I didn't see that all the way through. I kill it be killed will be a blind spot for me because I'm not I'm. I nothing about that. No, I don't say nothing about it. the characters, the 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 story. It's I right. It respect little, the creators, but it's like it modern day. It's not removed enough to. Make it's it not even. But no, it's 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 just it's, it's the main character himself. It's 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 that um, that entitled nothing's my fault kind of attitude that I can't just. Uh, it's that, that it, it's. I it's know like people. I, I don't know. Pe- I don't know actual killers, but I know people with that attitude. So I don't. I, I don't. I don't need to read that in my entertainment. Yeah, you might know killers. You don't know. Oh, he definitely right. does. Right. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a little too. <laughs> I don't want to go in. Yeah, go into my right. past, but yeah, I'm sure you do. People who have murdered. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's true. Yeah, it's called transgressed. Let's just say. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to reference, I think it's amazing, and and I see this with uh, students. You can give someone who's unsure, who doesn't have the proper footing in whatever, um, let's just say in sequential art, you can give them a shit ton of reference and say, here, dazzle me. And they will turn out the most yeah. hackneyed, mundane, boring bullshit. Um, I, you got, even if Phillips does use reference, and okay, let's give him, the, let's just say he does. You cannot tell. It's all done with uh, electricity and insight and uh, ingenuity, like he makes the the reference material work for him. Most people are not like that. They're like, okay, I got to use this pose as is. And it's not the best, but I'm stuck. <laughs> no, you're not. It's comics. Make it work for yeah. you. Mold it, twist it. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, I love reference material and it's also, I also see it as a huge, huge ball and chain. Well, it's because when you see it used so professionally and like so, like where it works, where it right. just looks like it's supposed to look, then you're just when you see it done wrong, you're like, well, what happened? Like, <laughs> why didn't you do it like that? You yeah. Know, like, why didn't you just have done thousands of pages like this guy and know how, exactly how to do it? Although to be fair, he's been doing it right for the entire time that I've been aware of his work. You know? Right. Like, I, I don't go back like to, you know, to like early. 90s days or like late 80s days but it's since i guess uh scene of the crime sleeper yeah yeah well, scene of the crime he just inked oh, okay okay so that was lark lark on pencils and he inked it but yeah like since then they've been doing it just fine like he's really had that thing figured out it's pretty wild uh, sleeper and there, like there's a lot of uh breath to that um series too i mean if if he was early in his career when he was doing S- sleepwalker or sleeper, like come on! Visually, that thing's a treat. I don't treat. think he was though. Like, when did he start in comics? Because we were just talking about this today. I'm on a since we shut down the studio. I'm on like a, a virtual studio call on Tuesdays and Thursdays nice. with some other comics guys, and we were trying to figure out how old Sean Phillips is to have a son who could color. You know, just like that's the dream to sort of have it all contained like that. 
Yeah. And I think he's been in since early in the 80s. Not early in the 80s, late in the 80s. Late in the 80s, yeah. Well, we're all better off for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 55 years old. Oh. Wow. That's your age, right? That is my age, yeah. One, one year older? No, I'm 55. Yesterday. 55. As of yesterday. What are you doing oh, happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. You Leo with me? Exactly. That's why I, I don't know anything about that type of thing, but I'm sure that's why I knew I liked you. There, you Aww. know, I, I'm, I don't put a whole lot of uh, stock in astrology, but damn it, if knowing the signs and what their trademarks are, I'll just say to someone, like, they'll exhibit a character trait, and I'll be like, you're a Scorpio, aren't you? And they'll be like, well, yes, and that's because that shit works. And maybe I do put, a, yeah, maybe I do put stock in it. I don't know, but there, yeah. there, there are. Sounds like you do. Uh, maybe I do. Right. But I am a dyed-in-the-wool Leo. Everything on that list, I am. <laughs> and it's it, and yeah. it's not me gearing my personality to match the stipulations of this arcane star sign. That's just the way I am. Like, I don't even try. This is me. And it 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 goes down that list of Leo things, and it ticks them off one by one. Oh, well. I have something. Let's and I, do it. I'm going to have to break it up. Because um, I read two issues of an anthology that are loaded with classic comics. And I'm not going to go through everything because that would be uh, boring and take up a whole lot of time. So I picked two things from each issue of this anthology uh, about which to talk. Uh, The best part of my weekend was spent with, and this is going to surprise no one, Comics Review. I love this magazine. Mm -hmm. Uh, much loved and respect to editor Rick Norwood. As I've said many times before, Comics Review, it's an amazing publication. And it's a colossal value uh, for your money. But to be honest, one doesn't get to see work from creators of this caliber every damn day. Now, I've read issues 407 and 408 and 409 and 410. For some reason, I've yet to figure it out, each issue is a double issue. So it it comes with two numbers. Uh, It's 128 pages, uh, square bound, but Norwood likes to number them twice. I don't know why. It just seems seems weird to me. Um, Maybe there's a prestige with the higher numbers. Like, we're on issue 410, well, yeah, but there hasn't really been 410 single issues, right? They're doubles. But still, an impressive achievement. I get it. Um, but 407 and 408 features the last installment of Stan Lynn's glorious Western strip, Ricochet. And I will be completely honest. I am nothing if not transparent. I have read this strip for years that's a long that's a lot of time years and i did not get the title i did Stop. not get, i swear to god okay. i i thought okay this dude's name's rick rick o'shea i get it and it's like <laughs> there was a point in my reading it that i'm like you are so friggin stupid rick o'shea uh, that is awesome. i i have to i cannot lie i didn't get it until about midway through like oh ricochet <laughs> Bullet. That honestly, that hurts me because because as a big of a Dick Tracy fan as you are, like whenever I see a name, I always try to figure out how it. Th- there was something else. Um, 
oh one of the one of the characters in in what I was reading today um Caster Nall Bark and he's he's a beaver so he gnaws on tree so I'm like I always love to like look in, in into the way I don't mean to derail but yeah no I get it yeah I didn't just I was too focused you know why this is how my mind works I look at the way the typography they designed the ricochet like I look more at the form than I do at the function right so I'm looking at the letter shapes and the space between the letters and the way they positioned the two words like that is what ignites my attention and I didn't think to like I I don't see the forest is and it has it, it has happened to me i don't it may not click until you actually say it out loud right and when you read you don't say it out loud you say exactly. you say submariner <laughs> right submariner and mag- magneto yeah. so that was submarines yeah right exactly right. but anyway what uh, are there other comic strip titles that you think we've missed that, that might also no, be puns. That, we've missed, that maybe he's missed. No, that I don't know. Vince and I have missed. I'm sure. Oh, okay, okay. Ricochet. Well, like, what about Hagar the Horrible? Is that anything? Hagar. I don't <laughs> think so. I think his what name is just Nancy? Hagar. What is Nancy gonna be? Yeah, uh, Nancy. The lady that's name is Nancy. Oh, Kathy. It's gotta be something. I mean, High and Lois is not really a pun, right? It's just sort of like slightly I, punny. Yeah, I think it sort of is. High, high and low. High and low. Yeah, high. yeah. Well, what kind of name is High? I guess that's the dude's name in Raising Arizona I, too. I've it, known guys, men named, well, nicknamed High. Right. Yeah. High. Yeah. It's like Hyman, maybe. Yeah. Oh, Hyman. Okay. All right. Or like <laughs> initials H I. What kind of a fucked up parents would name their son Hyman? <laughs> Jewish. Jewish parents. I mean, yeah, Jewish parents. Okay. It's a family name. Hyman. Oh, yeah. I like what you're coming here with right now, Vince. I think that's my mother. <sighs> okay. <laughs> But anyway, back to Ricochet, the uh, perfectly titled strip, uh, which began on April 27th, 1958, and came to an end with this storyline. This this one, Maggie Dover storyline, this is it. There's no more uh, Ricochet after this. This storyline began on February 28th, 1977, and ended with the strip on May 7th, 1977. It is and was a magnificent way to go out. It's, but it's not a denouement. It's, it, there's nothing tied up. They're, they don't wrap up any long standing storylines or reveal possible permutations of the future of their characters. In fact, this is what I love about this part of the strip. Ricochet and his buddy Hipshot Percussion hardly appear in the story. How about that? Is that a great name for a character? Hipshot Percussion. You know the guy I'm talking about, right? He dresses in black. He's got the 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 handlebar mustache. He looks like the the cinema version of the bad guy because he dresses in black, but he's yeah. anything but, right? Yeah. So the strip focuses on Maggie Dover. She's a handsome woman, but she's kind of inching past middle age, and she's beginning to feel the effects of her time on the planet. Because Maggie's a dance hall girl. Dance hall girls need to fit a certain mold, right? Uh, pretty, young, energetic. They get paid to dance with patrons. So they have to be 
quote unquote attractive to the male clientele, right? So Maggie's getting older. Uh, she's a dance hall girl at the Diamond Slipper Saloon, and she's she comes to the stunning realization that maybe her best days are behind her, right? She's thinking, Mags, old gal, you're just not cut out for this way of life anymore. And the uh, the proprietor of the Diamond Slipper, Charlie, he's her friend, and he shoots it, you know, he shoots straight. He's like, yeah, you know, a, a woman, you, you've been good to me. I've been good to you for the past 20 years. But, uh, yeah, I think you should, I really think you should find something more suitable. Um, he wants to see Maggie, you know, get out of the business and get some well-deserved reward out of life. And so they both decide it's best if she just leaves the job. And Charlie kind of asks her, you know, hey, you need, you need any money? You, you got something to tide you over? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I, I've been saving. I, I, I'm fine. But Maggie's very proud. And Maggie has basically nothing. So uh, she lies. And uh, she has very little to her name. Uh, but she's not a quitter. And she comes up with this plan. She's thinking, how does um, a beautiful but aging woman survive the Old West alone? Well, here's the kicker. They don't do it alone. They do it with a man at their side. So she decides, I need a husband, preferably one with uh, substantial reserves of cash. And her plan coalesces when her buddy Fred, who works at the secondhand store, comes into possession of a number of trunks that were left over by a theater troupe that couldn't pay their bills. So Maggie takes $50 of her remaining money, which doesn't leave her much left over. She takes the trunks, and they're all full of costumes. And she goes to the nearby town of Conniption, which is, wouldn't you know it, the very place where Ricochet and company live, and she tries to pass her off, herself off as someone else. She becomes Margaret DeVore, the Countess de Terpicor. Um, and she's in town because she's got a, the settlement of her late husband's substantial estate needs to be taken care of. So she's going to stay in town for a while. And as she gets off the stagecoach, she gives the guy five bucks to take her luggage up to her room. And he's like, holy crap, five bucks, like five bucks during this time period was a lot of money. Um, sure. And so because Maggie is, as I said, beautiful and dressed in uh, very eye-catching uh, finery, the, the men of the town, she grabs their attention. Uh, you got guys lined up outside the local barbershop. Everybody's trying to look their best for Maggie. And she's like, all right, I think this is going to work. So there there are little conversations within the strip. It's not that long. It, it's, it's well, you can do the math. It didn't run for very long. Um, there's conversations during the thing where people will, will mention like, oh, you don't have to worry about money. And she's like, yeah, if you only knew. I got about 50 cents in my pocket. Um, so the Lynn kind of pushes the fact that Mags has nothing to her name. So along comes cattleman Bob Weir, not of the Grateful Dead, but um, he he's the one on whom her attention falls. She thinks Bob's handsome, right? He's got money. He's got cattle. He seems to genuinely enjoy spending time with Maggie. You know, they go on a number of little daytime excursions, and, and she can tell old Bob is falling for her especially after he fumbles through a marriage proposal. Mags, I can't live without you. 
you're beautiful. I enjoy spending time with you. I would love for you, you know, for you to be my wife. Let's get hitched. And she's overjoyed. My, oh, my plan worked. This is awesome. I got a rich husband. This is just exactly what I wanted. But she's guilty. She feels tremendous guilt because somewhere along the line, Maggie fell in love with Bob. And the fact that she lied to him and told him she was this countess and she's salt of the earth, the absolute opposite of a countess, she's, she's busted, she's messed up inside, right? So the plot thickens because Maggie's noticed by a ne'er-do-well who used to frequent the Diamond Slipper Saloon. And he says, aren't you that dance hall girl from Houlihan? Yeah, you're that Maggie. I, I know you. What is, what is this? You're not, a, you're not a countess. And she's like, oh, shit, this is bad. Uh, so he blackmails her. He's like, you're going to give me $5,000, which was a tremendous amount of money in this time period. And she's like, oh, well, I got nothing to do. Like, how do, what do I do? I got to pay this guy. Luckily for good old Maggie, hip shot was out of earshot. <laughs> and he heard the whole damn thing. And he comes to Maggie's rescue and he punches the ne'er-do-well in the face. Get the fuck out of here. Leave the woman alone. If she says she's a countess, she's a countess. Like he knows damn well that she's not a countess but hip shots a stand-up guy this woman just wants to make a life for herself um and but it, uh, the the uh, the ne'er-do-well doesn't end there he goes right to bob directly to the 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 source and says hey that lady you're hanging around with she's not everybody in the old west is obviously from brooklyn that lady you're hanging around with he's <laughs> not she's not what she says, she, what she says, she is. And Bob's like, "Well, thank you very much for uh, enlightening me." And as a reward for your your gift of uh, knowledge, he punches him in the face. So the ne'er do wells out of the picture, and Bob knows now that Maggie isn't what she says she is. But you know, keeps it on the down low. And Maggie comes to Bob, and and Maggie reveals everything. She says, I'm not a countess. I got nothing, but I I I love you, and Bob reveals that he knows and it doesn't really matter to either of them he doesn't care she doesn't have a dime he just wants to spend his life with her and she the same and they're married and the curtain falls on ricochet uh comes to a conclusion and fittingly the last paddle um of the strip has rick and hipshot in conversation but the thing i love best about this 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 strip and the way it went out was life in conniption carries on as usual, without us. Rick O'Shea and company does not need us to view their adventures. They will continue on from this point, whether we are viewing it or not. And I love that kind of ending. It wasn't, oh, Rick got old and, you know, he had kids and his kids grew up to be sheriff and all these towns or, you know, Maggie got pregnant at a late age and had a baby, but Maggie died. Like none of that bullshit about this is what happened that you're not going to witness, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. These characters just, they just go on. And I love that. It's, it's, uh, the status quo stays pretty much the same. Rick is, is still sheriff. Hipshot still his buddy. They, they've had adventures to which we will not be privy, but they're there. And that's a beautiful, glorious ending to me. That regardless of my presence, these characters will continue. And it's somewhat fun to maybe imagine what kind of adventures they would have had. But I don't really want to because I know that they did. Does that make sense? They did. Yes. 
was there ever anything else though? Like, did they do annuals or like a special or anything? I read so. (coughs) Sorry, I read somewhere that um, Lynn did a one-shot comic Uh featuring these characters, but uh, I'll be totally honest, I haven't read it, and I'm not sure I really want to. Yeah. After this. Um, it's, a, it's a successful ending. Yeah, like I'm a, I, I will, I'm loath to admit it, but I am a romantic. I'm a sentimentalist. And the fact that this middle-aged woman who tried to find a different road in life and realized that she was getting old and better get something quick because she's got to survive. And it's tough in the Old West for anybody to survive, never mind a single woman. I don't know. It's just kind of like... It, it it pulls at the heartstrings and the way Lind renders her, she's beautiful. She's not she's not dro- jaw droppingly gorgeous, but you could tell that she's she's a very handsome woman, but you could tell at some point in her life she was a stunning, gorgeous young lady. And we all age, we all get older. This happens to everybody. Like I don't even have to say it. It's redundant. Uh I, I could just lock on to the themes in this story and I get it. It makes and thematically when you you know compare it to a comic strip that has a finite lifespan in most cases you know the the creator was like okay i realize that maybe it's time to bring things to an end like the the themes of the the strip mirror some of the themes in producing a work of art over an extended period of time you got to admit at some point that maybe your best work is behind you which is not the case visually here uh, because there's a huge difference in Lynn's style at the end of Ricochet than than at the beginning. In the beginning, he's he's cartoony. There's a very stylized approach to the characters. It's kind of goofy looking and rubbery, and 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 uh, there's the the emotional content in the line is much higher than what he produced towards the end. It's much more refined and and constrained and and more more realism based which is okay by me but um in this issue the story is followed by a ricochet episode guide that details all of the issues of comics review in which the strip had appeared um they reprinted everything from 1958 to 1977 and if you're looking for those you get this issue and there's a nice little listing and you say okay i'm missing part 13 of this oh it's in issue 302 303 and you know exactly where to go. Yeah, it's great. So that's the first part of my comics review. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is, that's the first part. But no, I mean, seriously, when you're dealing with an anthology that has Bernie Hogarth and V.T. Hamlin, um, I'm not going to spill the beans because I'm sure David will in a little while. Gil Kane, like what? Russ Manning. Like, how do you just talk... Uh, uh, Milton Kniff. How do you say a limited amount of words about Milton Kniff and Gil Kane? You can't. They're 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 all time heavy hitters. If there was a comic book all star team, these guys would be on it, right? So you, I can't budget my words when it comes to the classic stuff like this. Nor should you. Yeah. But anyway, um, just in case you're interested, I'll, I'll, I'll say this again after the second part. Comics inter, or comics Review, sorry, David Anthony Craft, Comics Review is a $20 publication. It's uh, color, black and white, 128 pages, square bound. But don't let the $20 price tag sway you because if you get it from DCBS, 
it'll cost you 14 bucks. And that is well worth the content. It it will take you a good, well, if it's the only thing you read, a good, you know, two days, three days to read it. Move on. Mm-hmm. What else we got? Well, since you did bring him up. Let me take you back to January 1966. Mm-hmm. Uh, three months after Tower Comics published Wally Woods Thunder Agents, uh, another title was added to the publisher's lineup, and that is Undersea Agent. And just as Thunder is an acronym, so is Undersea, which stands for United Nations Department of Experiment and Research Systems Established at Atlantis. Undersea. Yeah, I think Undersea is (laughs) better. So. Wait, um, hold on. At Atlantis? That's Undersea. Atlantis is A. Exploration established at the at established. Got it. But you leave the at out. All right, carry on. Sorry to interrupt. (laughs) Okay. I said Uh, to dump the at. So um, (laughs) this this collection is the complete Gil Kane's Undersea Agent, published in a fancy hardcover by IDW in. The year 2018, and this collects um, Undersea Agent, or material from Undersea Agent numbers 3, 4, 5, and 6, along with the covers to 4 and 5. The... This was purchased by me in um at heroes i believe um the last heroes we uh we attended which was that same year so no maybe this isn't 2018 um maybe it's 2015 regardless um this has a uh, this th- this has a introduction two introductions it has a forward by um, Ray Goldstein, where he goes on about the greatness that is Gil Kane, so I don't blame him there. And then there is a introduction by um, Michael Uslan, uh, where he kind of he he does touch on undersea agents' beginnings um, and maybe not as great um, artist lineups before Gil came onto the title. Uh, but he does. He, he, he Undersea Agent was pretty much written by Steve Skeets and Gardner Fox. Um, there were... Um, he, he, Michael mentions the other artists that were on the book. Um, but yes, uh, apparently it's shown once Gil was able to... Um, 
to have some fun with it. Gil was able to actually ink himself here, which Julie Schwartz wasn't keen on letting Gil ink his own work, ink himself at DC. Um, and there are people who consider that um, that to be a detriment, that that uh, Murphy Anderson may have been, according to Michael Uslin, uh, Murphy Anderson, uh, in his eyes, uh, was Gil's best anchor, um, adding shading and lighting to the pencils. Uh, but since, so Schwartz didn't allow Kane to ink his own pages, but when he came to tower, um, he, uh, he absolutely was able to do that. And Kane actually wrote the story in issues five and six. So he, um, he got the devil on that side of, uh, the creative table as well. But, this, my first time, I, I, I've read various Thunder Agent stories and, and um, not, not, not so many stories of the entire team, mostly single solo stories of the team members, especially from the, um, the Lux Comics version of, uh, of the characters that, where you had uh, Keith Giffen and, and, and George Perez and... Um, I remember those first couple of issues were pretty much just stories of the individual characters um, without really seeing the team in action. So it took a long time for me to actually see Thunder Agents together um, taking on threats as a uh, as a team. So I, I'm, I'm not well versed in, in the Tower lineup the way I am, maybe the Charlton characters or even... Um, the Archie Red Circle line, things like that. So, so, so Tower's kind of a blind spot. I've never, never read Undersea Agent. Uh, didn't know, didn't, really didn't know that that Gil Kane ever worked on the property. Uh, but when Vince saw this at Heroes and handed it to me, um, reluctantly, that's pretty much, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, thank you. Um, but it's not this. This is uh, it's. Like I said it's 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 all. From what I gather, everything Gil Kane did for Undersea Agent is in this book. Even though he did the interiors for number six, Wallywood did the cover. That cover's not here. So we're only getting the, the, the stories, the interior stories that Gil drew or wrote and drew and just the two covers. Um, no credits either. So, I mean, we know who's drawing these, but I'm not sure if it's Skeets or Fox uh, writing the tales. But the Undersea Agent is um is Davy Jones and um not of the monkeys and, and and not of the locker but he um he's pretty much your he, he's the hero of the story and and there is um there's Scooby with a K who um who very much looks up to Davy and uh the the three main characters are um, are Davy, are Scooby, um, and uh, and the professor, Professor Watkins, and he um, he. We don't. We're not getting anybody's origin story. I don't know what happened in the first two issues of Undersea Agent. We're we're, we're just reading these these stories, and you kind of just. You're, you're told who these people are as you read them. Um, not getting a lot of backstory, not getting uh, anything that may have happened in previous issues. Um, 
you're 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 kind of on your own here. But that's I don't the the story isn't really um what uh what I care about here. Um it is absolutely Gil Kane's art. And I there are times where the um the word balloons and 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 the caption boxes kind of get in the way. Um so um I I'm I'm not I'm not so concerned about the four stories here and, and how um how how involved or, or connected they might be. I don't I don't care about what came before in the first two issues because we really kind of hit the ground running with this at the beginning of this collection. Um there's no callbacks to anything that happened before. Uh the first two are kind of are, are shorter stories. Um Dealing with the Will Warp, uh, which is a gun that reverses um, your attitude or uh, whatever um, whatever you wish to accomplish, uh, your your um, however forward you want to. Basically, if if you want to erect the communications tower. Um, Davy Jones is hit by the ray, and then he turns around and he yells at Scooby to 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 dismantle and and take the tower down. And that's all because of um of the will warp ray. Uh, so Doctor Malevolent is the person who created the ray gun, and he um when when Davy and Scooby realize what's going on, Davy goes after Doctor Malevolent, and and he has a fancy little gadget on his belt buckle. A, um, a, an electromagnetic beam, which he uses to get the gun from Dr. Malevolent. Malevolent won't let go of the gun, falls out of the boat into the water. Um, where we see him in the water, finally loosen his grip on the gun, but then we just see a bunch of bubbles. So we never see Dr. Malevolent again. We don't know if he dies. He's kind of, a lot of people just end in these stories. And, um, <laughs> And 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 which you know that's fine. We're just gonna move on to the next thing. The next story um, involves uh, Scooby kind of being a real Gilligan, and um, and he ends up uh, apparently Scooby's a bit of a klutz, and and the professor wants Scooby to go get um, some chemicals from his lab why the chemicals are out in the open and, and are in a different area in the headquarters. I don't know, but Scooby goes and gets them, but he trips over a chair that's right in front of his face, hits the table, the table falls over and all these chemicals land on Scooby and Scooby ends up transforming into a huge scaly beast. And if it's a creature with scales, Gil's going to draw the shit out of it. And that's exactly what he did here. And he, uh, because they don't know that this beast is Scooby. Um, agents want to kill it, destroy it, take it down. Um, Davy, of course, is the smarter person and, and, and um, realizes that there's a look in this creature's face that reminds him of someone. Uh, maybe we should just capture it and, and not kill it. Um, and when all is said and done, Scooby doesn't really remember the events of um, of the afternoon. There are creatures 
undersea creatures that Gil really has fun drawing. There are undersea robots that Gil seems to have fun drawing. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole alien army under the water that is ready to, that has a plan in motion to not only take over sea life, but also end up on land and um, they're able to breathe both, both on land and in the sea. Um, Scooby ends up saving the day here by, um, by realizing that the water that the aliens need to be in, just like Aquaman, you need to be underwater for, for at least an hour out of the day. Uh, the, the water that the aliens are, are, are swimming through is clear and he gets the aliens out of their, uh, their vessel and into the ocean. And then the salt water kills them. So, um, they're very murderous undersea agents. And the, um, in that story, Scooby gets a medal that he seems to have been coveting from, um, that Davy has in his possession from, from, from a previous adventure. Uh, and then the fourth story deals with, um, with love and loss. Uh, Davy ends up well, well under so far underneath the ocean floor. Um, he, he comes across another civilization and, um, falls in love with a woman there. Um, but a monster attacks and Davy fights it out of the area and he gets sucked back towards, um, undersea agent headquarters where he's found, um, never to find that civilization again. Um, but the buildings and, and the architecture at the, uh, where, where, um, where the people of Antor are, Antor are, are residing. Um, Guild really goes to, um, it's, it's very Kirby-esque. He, he really, I, it, it's the most Kirby I think I've ever seen Gil attempt with, with technology and, and mech, um, and then there are times where Davy makes just some kind of weird jokes that are kind of um, not exactly timed well, uh, which just kind of shows me that he's kind of a more human than, um, let's say, Batman. He's just he's 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 fallible. But yeah, it's it's a um, it's a really really cool collection. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad I ended up with it. I'm glad I have it. It it looks great. Um, it looks great because it's Gil, and and that's that's why I have it. I'm, I I I I don't think anybody can ever have enough Gil King. Breach, yeah, it's the truth. It and, is cool looking. I'm looking at pictures of it right now online, and it looks super neat. Although I gotta say, I'm very annoyed at the cover of this collection. Like, it's just <laughs> like the back cover looks cool enough, but the the front cover just is sort of like it, you. It seems like you really could have done something neat with it. Like there's, there's a real specific way I like to see, like classic comics represented. Yeah. And I, I don't want them to just do the exact cover of the original comic, but I don't want them to do this either, where it's like they've done like modern coloring and then just sort of like yeah. slapped a logo on there. But yeah. and, and it's my boys, you know, it's IDW, so like, you know, I know these people. I'm not trying to disparage anybody. They have in-house designers. Like the guy probably had ten things to do that day. It's just it's, like it is I mean, you see stuff cover. like that I always think like what I could have done if I had like you know if they just gave me that and I had two days or a day and a half to sit there and and work on it 
I agree. I, it, it's the cover to number four, and and looking at at Gill's cover to number five, I think that's probably the stronger one. But uh, Davy Jones is not front and center the way he is on the cover that they went with. Uh, but there are other images inside the book that I think would have um, would have probably done a um, a better job, kind of representing what what you were getting. But yeah, this was um, is it on was, glossy paper or is it on matte paper? It, it is. It's glossy. Yeah. I got those uh, Kirby romance comic collections that Fantagraphics did. And that is like the standard that I set now for every like <laughs> reproduction of something like that. Like they're so perfect that I'm just like, why, you know, anytime somebody doesn't do it perfect, I'm like, it's the templates right there. You just got to take the comic books, put a formula on top of them, bake them in an oven. Like it's so easy. That's right. the that's how they <laughs> repaired those pages for the Kirby thing. Yeah, I kind of like the chip kit approach. Yeah. Yeah, where you just, you know, shoot it as it exists in this time, not the way it, you would assume that it looked when it was first published, which you, you, you should never try and go into the Wayback Machine because there will always be someone that's like, oh, you know, the coloring on this, this, this reprint doesn't quite live up right. to the original coloring. So, you know, why even try to shoot it the way it is? And, uh, I like a like a stripped down design for stuff like this too. Like they went with the like it's a logo that they had before, you know, on some of the issues. But it's just sort of like the, it's just like the outline and the double stroke and all that. It's just like just put that in white. Yeah. You know, I bet they had the uh, a scan of the OA for that cover, and they thought, well, it's clean. Let's just yeah. see if we can't gussy it up I, I don't think it's a bad cover like if i look at, if i didn't know better and i just saw it i'd be like oh that's that's a cool image you know gil kane giant fin fang foom type monster reaching out grabbing the hero that's neat you i know? mean the image is cool definitely. yeah yeah there even, are like do you see the original cover like just the coloring on that it's so close like the the highlights are in the same place but it's flat coloring it looks better you know yeah well flat yeah. coloring always looks better damn it the um there, there are some some panels, some images here where um, I don't think I ever really noticed in as great detail um, the effect Gill had on um, and has on on Howard Shaken. I, I see some things that look like Howard could have just easily have have drawn it, um, and and there's some things that I think um, even remind me of of Neil Adams, but it's. It is. I mean, you could definitely tell it's Gil. There are some faces where, I mean, the closer you are, the better everybody looks. Um, the further away, you, you you lose something in in some of the faces, but um, you definitely that you you feel you feel the movement as usual. It's just you you um, you know when someone is astonished or scared or angry. Uh, it's 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 what you would expect from Gil. It's just not, um, it's not your Green Lantern. It's not your Adam. It's it's not your Spider Man. Um, it's but I mean the guy who did what eight hundred Marvel covers in in the um, in the seventies. He's he's on these pages. Yeah, there, you can't slight Kane. I mean, try, he's, he's just inc- fight you. <laughs> right, but I mean, excellent illustrator. He wrote the Tarzan strip that was in the uh, uh, comics review. 
not a you know it's not a a stretch. It's it's not a great Tarzan story. But you take Gil Kane and put him in the jungle with Tarzan, who's all anatomy, right? Yeah, that's a recipe for success. So who cares what the storyline is? Some some woman is leaving her her rich domineering man like the guy won't he's strangling her he won't suffocating her he won't give her a moment's rest and she flees to the jungle and he sends mercenaries out to tarzan or or out to get her and tarzan steps in and you know deals with the mercenaries so the woman can have a life and you know standard story but um the art my goodness like kane just works wonders with the jungle he was made for the jungle Mm -hmm. right and there's no snake in it but sort of the atom yeah yeah, I kept thinking when I was looking at these pages, like you said, he started a few issues in on this. He started on issue three, is that right? Yes, yes. What a dream assignment, you know? If they're just like, all right, so it's all underwater, <laughs> just like, oh, <laughs> sweet, <laughs> say no more, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, except, uh, I I can't believe he drew in these uh, techno like uh, uh, like scuba base backgrounds or whatever. I would I would keep that shit way out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Why are so many seaweeds Bubble, around here? Seaweeds, that's it. <laughs> A couple of shells here and there, maybe a fish. Yeah, sprinkle in some sand. Shit. Good. Yep. Bikinis. Yeah. Be knocking those things out three or four a day. You'd be, you'd be Tony Kirby. <laughs> Banging them out. Speaking of which. Oh, nice. Talk about this? Yeah. What do you got? Uh, so I read the Tom Scholey, Jack Kirby, The Epic Life <laughs> of the King of Comics comic. Nice. Uh, and I found it to be just delightful. Um, we talked earlier about how, uh, like abstracting and sort of doing a cartoonier version, uh, makes it easier to put emotion onto something, you know, like there's, there's not a great divide in between you and the character when the character is simplified. And and Tom did this sort of like, uh, Astro Boy style Jack Kirby in this thing, which, you know, like when I first saw it, when they started soliciting the book, I was like, what a wild thing to do. You know, like what an interesting take. Um, just having this, uh, this whole Kirby book about this little manga, Jack Kirby, but it really works, especially when you're cramming in so much information, uh, and you just need to have that shorthand that, that this is your Jack, you know, and you go back to him over and over again. Uh, I don't know. It really worked for me. Uh, I haven't read the the entire Tom Scholey library like you guys have, um, and and sometimes I uh, the artifice of it is a little bit much for me. Like in the Fantastic Four, sort of or the Gobots, like the uh, like the smudges and stuff, I find to be a little bit off putting and sort of uh, like pushes me back a little bit. Like it's, I have to really focus and and give a shit to pay attention through it. Like I'll read an old comic that has that, but if I know you put that on there on purpose, I'm just like, come on, bro. I'm just trying to read these words, you know? Um, but he, he doesn't really do that here. I mean, he does, it has the, the surely like uh, paper texture and sort of like some of that vibe, but uh, he had, and he still does some of the, like the crayon shadowing here and there, or the pencil, like the pencil shading. Um, but it's, a uh, it's a lot cleaner than some of the more recent stuff. And, uh, luckily, because it, like I said, it is jam packed with content. Um, I mean, it, some of it, most of it is stories we already know, you know, like if, if you're a 40 year old dude who loves comics, you know, about what Jack Kirby was up to, you know, where he started out and, and the stops that he made, but it's, it seems 
um, I don't want to say comprehensive because there's so much writing on Kirby, you know, that like it would be impossible to, to put every little thing into the, into this book. And I, I really hope you guys have Tom on to talk about this because I would love to hear after you, Vince, especially read through this, just really uh, get down to brass tacks on like what he left out, what he felt was really important to focus on. Um, but it was interesting that I read this and Pulp uh, on the same week because there's so many themes in these books are the same. Like, obviously, this one covers the guy's whole life and career, but uh, the the protagonist in Pulp is this older creator who's sort of like nearing the end of his life and and sort of like has had a successful career but doesn't really know what he has a show for, you know, he just wants to set up his family and, and, you know, like, and, and have, and have lived, uh, you know, a, a successful life. And, and obviously that's sort of what the Jack story ended up being too, you know, like he did all these amazing things and then, uh, you know, he, he didn't die in squalor, you know, but he could have, you know, he could have been doing so much, but, you know, he should, he should have been a, a wealthy, wealthy man, you know? And instead, he was sort of, you know, I mean, he had a house with a pool out here, you know. So, I mean, he was doing okay, I guess. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. Right. Exactly. You sort, yeah. of, you sort of think about, like, as a creator, uh, about what your prime is and making the most of it. And, and uh, in both of these works, and in this one especially, you sort of just see, like, I, like, I don't have the opportunities that I have now if Jack Kirby didn't get fucked like he got fucked then, you know, like, and I'm not saying that, like, thank God, I'm just saying, like, that's just the way the the world is built, you know, like, my parents had it rougher than I had it growing up, and if I had kids, they'll have it easier, you know, you guys, Vince, you have kids, they had it way easier than you had it growing up, right? Um, yeah, For the most part, yeah. I wouldn't say way easier because I had a pretty damn good childhood, but yeah, I, I, they they have more opportunities than I had. I don't know how you with a good childhood turned out like this. What I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Textbook childhood, no problems at all. But it just made like it made me think a lot reading this about. Uh, it's one of these things that's inspiring, you know. You read it and you're just like, this guy did so much, and and. And it gets to the point, you know, like in the book where he can't draw anymore, you know, like he had a heart attack and he can't do it anymore. And he's just still trying to put stuff together and, and still get things coming in like around, you know, like Phantom Force time. Right. Um, and he's like his anchors at the time, uh, Thibodeau and uh, uh, Mike Royer wasn't really involved in that stuff but like about those guys sort of like helping him put stuff together just so that he can you know like still have stuff coming in uh it just it really made me want to be productive you know and which is silly too because i'm fucking productive you know like (laughs) like i feel like i'm working constantly and then i read something like this and i'm like i really got to get to work you know so I don't know. I like. I don't want to go too deep on like the. Uh, it's not like you can spoil the story, but I don't really want to drill down on on what gets covered and what doesn't get covered because I'm really excited for you guys to read it. Like I think you're, uh, I think you're all going to really uh, enjoy it. It's uh, it's great. Like I've, I've I've really enjoyed it. 
I'm halfway through. What are your thoughts so far? Um, are you I, running into inconsistencies and stuff? No, no, I don't. No, I, sure. I'm completely in in Tom's hands. What whatever he decides to put in and leave out is fine by me. It's it's his story about the thing that he loves the most, right? Sure. So I'm not going to uh, pick apart the story or or the details, but I I think we talked about this um and and will pfeiffer and i went over this too because will hit me up on on um twitter and he's like hey did you read that showly and i was like yeah uh tom fascinates me and he also scares me a little bit because i don't always know from where tom is coming like he gets so involved and he gets so deep with the with the the conceptual angle of whatever he's doing like mm-hmm. I'll be totally honest and when Tom comes on because he's 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 hit me up to come on and I I want him here but the uh fantastic four grand design mm-hmm. I didn't understand I didn't understand what he was doing I I, I it just completely went over my head like I I don't I I didn't get it like I, I, I could, I could perceive that there was something there, in addition to just a love letter to the Jack and the Fantastic Four. But I, I, I couldn't put my my hands on. I didn't like the the uh, the the wisecracking and the the lighthearted nature and just the 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 goofiness of it. Just it threw me for like I don't, I didn't get it. I don't get it. I, I don't understand what he was trying to accomplish with that. But I mean, I, I don't see it as a detriment to the book. I just, I just didn't understand it. Well, right? like, what did you think of the of the Piscor one? Like, do you have do you have an issue with the format of it? No, no, offense on the format. No, it's not about the format. Like the Piscor one, I didn't have a horse in that race. Whatever you want to tell your X Men story, great. You know, it <laughs> it, it 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 looks wonderful. Um, you could tell that Ed was in, extremely enthused and in love with the source material. So yeah, fine, do whatever you want. Um, I, I'm not a huge X-Men fan. I, I, I would much rather see Ed do something on his own than, than do a, a, a flesh and blood tribute to the X-Men, like uh, whatever. But, um, right. the, the Fantastic Four one, like how many times do we have to say it? I love the Fantastic Four. I love, sure, yeah. I love Tom, which, so maybe the fact that I didn't completely understand what he was doing, it it just made me it feel like maybe I'm missing something here. Like I need to talk to this man. Like what what is he trying to do with this the just the 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 goofiness of this thing? Like I just it's supposed to be a love letter, and then it gets so silly at some points that it just like I didn't know where his mind was coming from. So I didn't want to talk about it on the show because yes, I love Fantastic Four, love Tom, but to say like that it's wonderful. It is visually, but I just don't understand. Like again, I don't. I I can't yeah. put it into words that I feel like I wouldn't be doing him the the service I should be because I'm not completely understanding of the work. Like, okay, so but this Kirby thing is different, and I get it, and I understand. At least I think I do. Why he took Jack and focused only on Jack and made a stylized version of the title the focus of the book and everybody else looks quote normal right yeah 
Jack is he he's elevating Jack. He's separating Jack from our mundane reality because Jack was anything but. Jack created all these characters that gave us dreams and hopes and 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 fantasies and just they 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 took us through childhood, right? So Jack is like a godlike figure to Tom and to me and to many people. So he yeah. he rendered him in a way that separates him from mundane reality in the book. And I think that's brilliant. Well, and also more uh uh just practically, like that's our that's our man. Like that's our guy. And when you turn to the page, if there's six guys on the page, we can always go right to our guy. I mean you, you know where he is. Yeah. All yeah. these same age, you know, fifty year old white guys in suits. Right. So like, you know, the 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 one's gonna have salt and pepper hair at some point. But yeah, like having him be the the icon makes it so that we always we can follow him very easily. Yeah, but it it also instills a, a an idea that Jack is not made of the same DNA of everyone around him. Right, like, like Jack is uh, homo superior superior. You know, right. like this guy that that gave us childhoods basically. Um, Although you want to talk about uh, romantic, and I think we talked about romantic in the we had a like an audio hiccup in the middle of it. I was talking about how sweet I thought it was you talking about uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary last week. Uh, but when Tom switches over to the Roz narration uh, in the pink caption boxes and she tells her version of the story, I love that so much. And because it, because it informed all the rest of it but it just sort of like every once in a while you get you're in the jack story and then it takes you out and you get almost like a scorsese you know like when in goodfellas when she was like i gotta say it turned me on you know like you get that other narration for a page or two and then you yeah. go back into it and it just it was so like i don't know i have i have a real soft spot for Roz kirby content for whatever reason you know <laughs> just like when i hear stories about like you know her making sandwiches for the nerds that would come by and yep yep you know her pushing him on to to accept credit for everything, yeah. even stuff that he didn't do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. God bless her. But no, yeah, I mean, scene, I don't know if you got to it yet, but there's a scene where Stan wants to work on with something with Jack again, you know, years later and she's like dropped it. Yeah. No, know? I didn't get there yet, but I it's did what? fast, like, uh, I don't fast forward. I did page to the, the ending of the book just to mm-hmm. see how Tom handled it. And that one panel where it's all red and Jack is doubled over. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, brutal. It's brutal. But I mean it takes a a a, a creator of Tom's caliber to manipulate your existing emotions like that. Like Well yeah, cuz the whole book's in the grid and it's just going along, you're just trucking along moment to moment. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And there's like a there's a narrative through line, but it is a lot of it is sort of like jump from anecdote to anecdote, but then yeah, just like that just like yeah boom wordless you don't need because you don't need any words yeah it keeps moving too yeah like then then this happened next yeah yeah i'm I'm excited for you to get to the end of it i uh i didn't have as much of an issue with the uh the tone of the fantastic four grand design uh but i did i do like this much better um i just like my issue with those grand designs is like conceptually i'm just like i don't even I have the, you know, I, it's like the Psycho remake, right? Like, right. I've got Psycho. Uh, I'll watch this one, but if you ever want me to watch Psycho again, I'm not going to be like, we should get that one where Vince Vaughn jacks off, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's more better. 
no better. Yeah. Now, I understand the the grand design format. It, it only works with a high level creator. Like sure. if if it was, you know, um I don't I don't want to point anybody out, but like just the 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 workaday guys, like Joe Blow's grand design, like nobody would really care. It, yeah. You're 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 buying the ticket because of the voice behind the work, and and well, it's like a it's like a cover song. You don't want to just do a song. You want somebody to come and do it like so differently or so like in a way that you wouldn't have thought of before. Recontextualize. Right, right. And you know, I to say that I don't completely get Tom's Fantastic Four grand design. I understand some of it. Like I I know why there's so many panels. Because Tom has so much to say about the Fantastic Four, so he just litters this thing with a blizzard of panels. Like visually, it it works for me. I love the crayon layer. I love Tom's uh, laissez-faire approach to delineation. Like he's, you could tell he's not sweating every line. It it this is the way I speak in visual terms. So either you you're you're in tune with it or you're not. Like I I love that approach. Like that whenever a creator steps up to the microphone and just spews whatever they want. And it's like, fuck you. This is me. This is my time to talk. You're either going to listen or you're going to go to the restroom. And I, I, that completely captivates me when they do that. So Tom has me, he's won me over. I don't have to, to work to get into his stuff, but it's just sometimes like he's so high level that I, I don't, I don't get him. That's why he's, we'll, we'll probably have him on very soon. After we've all yeah. read it. I mean, it does make it interesting, too, if you're just like, what, you know, you never, you can't really zero in on what exactly he's going to do. No, that's great, right? Yeah, I don't want to yeah. be able to do that. Yeah, like, the, I did, like, that uh, heart attack panel you pointed out is a great example of, like, like, advanced storytelling being used in a, in a, uh, not generic, but like a standard format, you know, like, people have done biographies, you know. And, and there's certainly a way you do it. I feel like this is a, one of the better ones where it's just like, obviously he cares a lot about the subject and, uh, and he was able to create a, a narrative where it's not just a Wikipedia, you know? Right. Right. It's well, not just yeah. like Jack did this, then he did this, then right. he invented romance comics, then he, you know, saved Marvel. Yeah. Again. And the wartime stories where you, oh, ha- yeah. you have this cartoonish depiction of Jack Kirby and he's covered in blood. Like whoa, jeez, it's yeah. it's it's devastating. But yeah, I need to finish it, and then uh, I'll have a, I guess a more informed opinion on the whole thing. But so far, I mean, yeah, it's 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 what I expected, and it's a lot of what I didn't expect, which is great. Yeah, I expect he's gonna sell a shitload of these things. I hope that you know, I this is the sort of thing that I feel like people will buy for years and years to come. You know, like a perennial, uh, you know, evergreen seller. Yep. Uh, so good for him. Like, Truth. I, I liked it quite a bit. Great. Want to hear about the second part of comics review? Yes, Ooh. I have a question about comics review. Okay. Uh, before we dive into it real deep, have they ever reprinted uh, Carol Day by David Wright? Have you seen that strip? Do you know about it? Um, I don't have a complete run, so I can't say for sure. I guess but I could just I, Google. Yeah, I don't remember. Well, at least in the last couple hundred issues, uh, I don't remember Carol Day. But that's not to say that it's not there. 
Carol Day, very cool looking comic strip. I keep hoping somebody reprints it somewhere. There's like a Kindle versions of it out there, and that's the only thing that exists. I have I own an original strip from it. Oh, uh, nice! That a collector buddy of mine uh, like had it, and then he has this thing where he doesn't want to have two things by the same guy, so he got a better one, and he sold me his. And it's literally like one of maybe twenty of them that I've ever seen. But it's like I'll I'll send you links to this guy. He's super dope. Like his inking is incredible. Like Williamsony, but uh, dare I say better? Yeah, you can dare. But <laughs> it's pretty the, daring. <laughs> <laughs> that guy that doesn't want uh, multiples from the same artist. If Jason ever walked up next to him, Jason would burst right into flames. He'd be like, "Bruh, I don't get it." Orange church. But, you know, the thing that gets me about classic comic strips is that the the reason why I say comics review is incredible value for the dollar. The next time you're going through your previews, take a uh, take notice of the collections of classic comic strips. They're ridiculously expensive. Like we're talking $50 just to get into the door on some of them. And then the price increases like the phantom strips that those Hermes press things go for like $65 a volume. There's no way that you can, because these stories went on forever and you're talking like in some cases, 10, 20 volumes. That's a, a huge investment. So I, I really don't understand why there's not someone. Thank you out there, some publisher out there that isn't publishing, other than Rick Norwood and, and Comics Review, that's not publishing these things in bulk for everyone to appreciate because they're classics. They're, they're, they're the bedrock on which comics were founded. And like, why aren't they preserved for future generations? It just, it just doesn't make sense. Like IDW does a good job. Those Dick Tracy collections and, and Steve Canyon, they're awesome. But for every IDW, there's there's no, yeah. a bunch of nothing. Like, I, I just, it boggles boggles my mind. But anyway. Yeah, I should really, I'm going to bug those guys about this, see if maybe they can get to the bottom of it, try and find this guy's stuff. I always see, I, I, like, I'll see strips uh, when I look at art dealers at Comic-Con. Uh, I'll see some stray Carol Day strips mixed in there. Uh, yeah, I want a collection. You got to point them out to me next time, because I would love yeah. to see it. All right, yeah. the four hundred nine four ten uh, features part two, uh, part three actually, of the uh, one of the greatest comic strips ever to grace the page, Steve Canyon by Milton Kniff. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Um, and this is the culmination of the Cuddlecott storyline. Uh, installments which ran from October 26, 1975 to December 20th, 1975. And a little bit of conceptual continuity, which was why I picked it, like the Rick O'Shea strip that I talked up earlier. This installment of Steve Canyon features very little Steve Canyon. Almost none. Like at this point in his career, he's not in the Air Force. Uh, he's not enlisted. Uh, he's more Air Force intelligence He's getting up there in age, married, uh, has an adopted daughter, uh, Poteen. He's, you know, so Steve's, Steve's a, um, a seasoned, um, he's a veteran, right? So, um, but instead, the camera swings away from Steve and we're pulled into a war, which is a decidedly different war than what Steve Canyon fans were usually served. This is a war on a football field. 
Why did I pick this? I have no idea other than it's a really good story because it's mostly a, the, the backdrop is sports. Baffling, right? Um, but it's football f- filtered through the lens of women's lib. Now, remember, we're talking 1975. Women's liberation movement was raging at this time. And the strip kind of reflects the desire for women to receive equal opportunities as their male counterparts. So you have a young lady. Her name is Stocky Schweissenberger. She's a statuesque, uh, platinum blonde, who worked her way into the Maumee University football team. There's an incident earlier in the strip where uh, somebody throws a bottle at Stocky and hits her in the head, and she goes into a coma for uh, a period of time. But um, I don't get the sense that through the coma she developed any kind of abilities, but she's really good at kicking. She's very tall, long legs. <laughs> she's, she's good at kicking. And she wanted to play football, and there wasn't anything specific in the rule book forbidding it, so they reluctantly acquiesced. And she becomes a sensation. She she plays one play against uh, during a game against mommy's rivals from Seattle, and she kicks the ball and makes the goal and wins the game. So everybody goes nuts, like, oh, this woman, oh, there's a woman on the team, and she just won the game. So she only played once. That was last season. So when Colcott begins, the mommy team is at the tail end of an undefeated season. When the captain of the football team is killed in an auto accident. So naturally, the ladies of Maumee University want Stocky to run for, for captain. This is great. We'll finally get a captain of a football team that's a woman. This is wonderful. But Stocky doesn't deserve, she doesn't feel like she deserves the honor. But still, the, the gals are determined to get Stocky in there and they, they unleash the Lysistrata option. They take a, uh, they run a play of their own from the, the book of the Trojan women and they say, no nookie until we get what we want. Like they completely clam up. There's no interaction between them and their football playing boyfriends. They're like, okay, you're either going to vote for Stocky for team captain or you're not going to get any. All contact is forbidden until you vote for Our Lady. So obviously chaos ensues as the women kind of push their power play and the men try to keep from cracking. And it's neat the way Kniff talks about it. He says, no cuddling, hence the cuddlecot, boycott, cuddlecot, or or no interaction. What he's really talking about is they're not going to put out until they get, you know, they're, they're holding the the sexuality hostage until they get what they want. And so Stocky kind of, she threatens to break the strike by cuddling, in quotes, with all of the football team in alphabetical order to, to, to break the, the, the strike. And it, that just pisses the, the ladies off even more and strengthens their resolve. Um, so they're in the penultimate game of the season. Mommy and the other team are both neck and neck, 0-0. Something needs to be done. And it's the last couple seconds of the game. We got one, we got time for one last play. And what do you think the coach decides to do? He puts Stocky. Yeah, he puts Stocky in. She makes the kick. Mommy wins. The ladies go out of their freaking mind because woohoo! She's captain. There's gonna be no stopping her now. 
But Stocky doesn't want it. You know, she doesn't want the honor because of all the fighting that, that it caused. So what does she do? How does she grind everything to a screeching halt? She turns professional. She joins a professional women's football team. And that takes her out of the 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 uh, college league, um, invalidates her for the role of captain, and everything is happy and life goes on in uh, Mommy. Um, it's, it, it's not a very complex storyline, but when you have a maestro at the helm like uh, Milton Kniff, it was just awesome to pull somebody like myself in who has zero interest in organized sports. Um, that's a feat, right? And I was just, I'm reading this thing. I was like, I needed to know what happened next. Like, I, I could not care less in the real world if somebody makes a kick or not. Like, whatever. But in this story, I'm like, oh, my God, he's putting her in. And she's this beautiful blonde. And all the guys are like, I hope I get in there so I can tackle her. If I tackle her, I'm not going to let go. You know, like being. Oh, you clods. The, yeah, the testosterone is flowing real thick. But, like, the women are kind of at fault in this, too, you know? They're, they're using their sexuality to get what they want when that's not actually, um, I don't know, that I wouldn't think that was a respectable way to negotiate, right? Because you're using a commodity that's very desirable among the men, and you know it, and you're basically, you're manipulating them. So if you could take some kind of um, honor, out of that, I don't think there's much honor in it, but whatever. It's 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 an old play, and and women do it. But um, the the only link to Steve Canyon in this entire story is uh, Steve's adopted daughter, Poteet, who majors in journalism at Mommy U, and even she doesn't appear very often in the story. So there is a nice little focus, uh, shift of focus, for this long running strip, and I just enjoyed the hell out of it. It didn't require. Um, a whole lot of heavy lifting. I was familiar with the characters having read Steve Canyon for a long time, but I just thought it was great. Um, in these two issues, you get long, extremely long chapters of The Great Mandrake the Magician by Lee Falk and Phil Davis from 1938. Warren Tufts, Casey Ruggles, as I said, Gil Kane's Tarzan, Dick Moore's Gasoline Alley, which is my number one on the want list of reprints. Why mm-hmm. has Gasoline Alley not been reprinted? So it silly. hasn't been. No, not well. It's not in print. If it if it if it was, it's not currently in print. Now Walton Skeezix has been, and I believe it's still in print from Drawn and Quarterly. But once yeah. it transitioned over into Gasoline Alley, there's there's no uh, reprint set of any kind of uh, crazy. Longevity. That's surprising. Really, that's what I'm saying. Um, George Harriman's Crazy Cat. You get VT Hamlin's Alley Oop. Uh, it's the cream, everybody. This is the proverbial good stuff. So if you um, don't have much exposure to the classic comic strips, I suggest you uh, scare up some issues of uh, Comics Review. If you go to the website, I don't know what it is offhand. Just Google it, Comics Review. Uh, what they do is they offer, you get a single yes. issue for like say twenty bucks postage paid or whatever, you can get a uh, you can pick from ten or twelve issues for a certain amount of money. You can buy specific back issues, but just get it through previews. That's where I get it. Um, and I had a, the extreme good fortune the last time we drove to Charlotte when we yeah we stopped off at that little uh, 
Fayetteville uh, flea market, I'm what I get it like sixty issues of uh, comics yeah, review for like a buck wow. a piece. Yeah, but, score. Oh, you're not kidding when you're talking like after discount, fifteen bucks an issue, and I got them for a buck. Forget it. Yeah, it, it, that was one of those legendary scores that will never be repeated. I even uh, struggled with the the thought of going back there, but I would hate to go back and not have anything there, and then it would just shit on the whole memory. So I'm just gonna let it. I'm just gonna let it go. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, um, comics review. Look into it. It's so good. Comics review is spelled R E V U E. Yes, BTW. Yeah, it's all fancy. It's your googling. Yeah, it's like the French Canadian spelling. Yep. So, all right, cool. What else do we have? Dap, you got anything else there, buddy? Not that you'll hear it. <laughs> um, I heard that. It's, it's, well, yeah, um, yeah. Real quick, I'll. Um, well, maybe not. It's uh, so. The uh, uh, we're I like what um, it, it, it's it's this isn't news. I'm I'm liking what Bendis is doing with Young Justice and um, issues sixteen and seventeen. Um, seventeen came out this week. Um, seventeen kind of wrapped up the story starting with the first issue as far as these particular these characters these versions of these characters um coming back together and and remembering each other um and where where bart's been what he's been doing uh and, and how he was able to um free connor from uh from where he was um so that was 16 kind of catching Catching that up, um, how the Trinity of Young Justice, Connor, Bart, and Tim, um, were able to kind of find each other again after, after all this time, and whether or not Bart was going crazy, and 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 if uh, what what reality even like he he belonged in, and as I mentioned last time with the action comics storyline and, and, and the Kent's mom and pa remembering Connor when Cal Clark really didn't. Um, 17 takes place right, right in between those two action comics arcs, Metropolis doom, where the Legion of doom took on the DC heroes and the house of Kent storyline, because it's issue 17 is, is, uh, Picking up with all our heroes, Young Justice and the Justice League, cleaning up Metropolis. And it's kind of told from um, the focus seems to be this young girl, Yolanda, whose father owns a food truck. And um, all dad wants to do is support the heroes. It's like, you know, the, whether it's 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 the capes and cows or it's the first responders, but the people on the ground they they need us. They need something. So, you know, we're going to feed them. We're going to give them water. We're going to um do what we can we're we're, we're going to help them after they helped us and, and everybody else so uh she's kind of just watching all the heroes um react to one another and, and and how they interact with one another uh and while she is she's kind of our eyes and ears uh we're seeing 
Wonder Girl and uh, Wonder Woman having a conversation. Um, Diana pretty much feels that um, that that Cassie is is the leader, and and she's like, no, I'm not really the leader, and and Diana's like, yeah, you were. You, this is a role. It's a good path. It was one you were clearly born to. And then you know she kind of walks towards Superman and Batman, and then Scott Godlewski does the art in um, in seventeen, and then he does a, a panel where you see Cassie looking up at at Wonder Woman walking towards her two friends, and Cassie is looking down from the rubble at her two friends, of course, Connor and and Tim. Um, so I just really like the way Bendis and Walker. And um, and Gutlewski were able to kind of craft this tale of of just seeing the first generation, the next generation, uh, and the conversations that they have, and 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 Bart and Barry get to speed talk, and they have uh, they catch up quickly. Um, Batman and Drake have a conversation but it happens in the background we don't see any words exchanged um it looks like it was a maybe a stern i don't know how much of it was a conversation or if it was just patman talking to to drake but, but he um they kind of walked in separate directions when the conversation was over so i'm not sure if it was you did good or if it was you could have done better and and um when they when the conversation ends, Connor and Bart are in the foreground, and they both kind of look down and at their shoes because they're not they're not real sure how maybe that kind of played out. But it was it it really was just an an absolute feel good issue, and um and and, and it kind of just hit me just right. It was it was something that I needed, and and I'm very thankful for it. But um I am I'm curious to see where um where things are going. Next, because it's it it does seem between this issue, which is kind of a wrap up to to events from a different comic book, and the previous issue, I, I think um, Bendis has kind of ended the um. Th- th- there's a little bit of closure regarding the 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 arc, the, the story that that kicked off this series seventeen issues ago. Um, and and the art has just been what I mean. We started with Gleason early on, and uh, and then John Timms, and and we've had we've had other artists pop up for a couple of pages, like like Oming and Shaner, um, and uh, and Marquez, and it's it's just been it's it's been a really really fun book for me, and and I just I love the play between between all the characters, all the heroes. Um, these are. Uh, these are characters that even if you're not completely familiar with the, with the Peter David run from back in the day, you, you definitely get a sense that, um, that these are characters who, who care for each other and, and respect one another. But it, it really, it also reminds me of the way Marv Wolfman wrote the new teen Titans and, and how he made me care about a bunch of sidekicks. Yeah. They looked great because they were drawn by George Perez, but, these were characters that were sidekicks and you know yeah there was the teen titans book even before that in the 60s but it wasn't until the 80s when they felt grown up and they were written as grown-ups and um depending on how old you were when you were reading the new teen titans um 
there was a connection there that you may that that you may have been too young to get to some degree in the X Men um, or even the Avengers uh, or the Justice League. So so at least the new Teen Titans was able to to kind of help give gives gives a younger person a, a team they can glom onto and and because of how it was written. I mean you 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 see pages where. You, know, you read panels of, of New Teen Titans where it's obvious that Dick and Corey just got done having sex. This, it's not in your face. It's not blatantly obvious that, that you know, they have to s- spell it out for you. But but yes, these were these were teens, older teens, young 20-year-olds in, in, in adult um, situations, but um, written smartly. And to some degree, I mean, Young Justice might be written a little bit more kid-friendly, Um Bendis is still not dumbing it down or writing it down to um, the lowest common denominator. It, it's it's a um, he he's respecting the reader while respecting the characters, and and I um, I truly appreciate that. I'm I'm again I'm still in it for a long haul. It's 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 still I'm absolutely having a blast with it. I I, I really happy with the way it looks, and I am. Um, it is, there's a great scene where as Wonder Woman is walking away from her conversation with Wonder Girl, Ginny Hicks is like, so what's the deal with Wonder Woman? And, and Cassie's like, that's my aunt. She's like, well, yeah, so but what's the deal with her? And it's like, and because and mm. if you know from earlier interactions, especially in the Batman universe story, um, Ginny's gay. So it's, it's I, you know, don't blame her if, if she's got a thing for, uh, for Wonder Woman. But um, yeah, I, I'm really, really happy with number 17. It, it really... Page after page made me smile. So um, I was kind of saving it for my new travels, but I'm glad I got to kind of go off on a little bit here. The way you talk about this book really makes me, uh, I mean, I, I guess that is the point, is that it makes me want to investigate it more. I, I read the first couple, and then I just sort of fell off. And I have a feeling at some point I'm just going to pick up a, a collection or a pile of them and just bang through the whole thing, because you really do paint a, a very flowery picture of this book. I'm down for Bendis. Like I'll give him a shot always. Uh, and th- this sounds like this is where, where he's really killing it at right now. Would you, would you say that that's the I, thing he's doing at DC? I, when I think of, um, so, so there's this, there's action or Superman and there's Legion of superheroes. I think right now, um, that my order, I, I, my order would be, um, Young Justice, Superman, Action, and then Legion. Because um, Legion, Legion's having Legion hit the ground running, and and it's great that you know John is was was the was the pathway to the new book. Um, but it it's it hasn't gotten the momentum that I've gotten from Young Justice, and and uh, I am adoring Superman. The 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 um the storyline with 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 the, the killer of Krypton it, it no the reveal I didn't have a problem with it was just it was it was the 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 opening arc um, oh, Rogozar Rogo Rogo and I mean that yeah that 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 seemed to have gone on too long for me but <laughs> Rogozar um, was like uh, was like fetch he kept trying to make him happen all the time <laughs> seriously just, show just, up all the time <laughs> it's like, to make Lord, fetch what's this guy doing now. So um, 
and action comics has there's been some inconsistency as far as the art it's in my eyes with, with the art with action but but for the most part um i enjoy- i was digging the invisible mafia um what do you and, think about uh, about John JRJR right now? I I'm digging it. This is like I haven't found a DC book where I'm just like, oh, this is what I feel like he's like. He always feels like a Marvel artist to me. Yeah, uh, but this is the closest I've felt to, to like. This is where he fits. I I the, there was an issue of Action Comics for the most part. They've all been inked by Klaus, and there was one that was inked by um, Danny Miki, and I think that. That looks great because Klaus is every handed and it's, but I mean, you know, are you really getting general meter or are you getting Klaus chance? So, um, I still think it looks good. I'm not a fan really of, of maybe junior Superman. I think he's a little on the slender side and I really, and this is, this is a pet peeve. This is just my thing. I really, really dislike how small he draws the shield on Superman. It's mm. like, it's like a belt buckle on his chest. Whereas <laughs> it's supposed to be, much larger than that, and um, and that's a me thing. But I, I I thought the issue, the the most recent issue of Action, where he brings Connor to the farm, and and the reaction, the faces that, yeah. that the Kents made upon their, their, their realization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it's the man. The man still has it. Um, and and I loved the you know he he the knockdown drag out in the Metropolis Doom story line where you know the, all our heroes and those villains are, are getting at each other and and beating each other down. I mean that. That was impressive, and and you felt those punches. Um, so there are definitely stories that that Ramita Junior. I think is can pull off. I, I I'd rather see those those stories than um, you know the Avengers sitting around a coffee table. It's sure. it's it's which are fine. I mean, and they serve a purpose, but but I mean, is that a waste of Junior's talents? So yeah. um, you want I don't like, I uh, like Jurgen's Thor level stories for him to draw where he just gets to do incredible, you know, world shaking. Le- yes. Yes. Um, I mean, and that, that kind of flies in the face of me just talking about the, the Connor and the Kent's thing, but still, I mean, it was nice that he, he was, he did get that, that moment, yeah. that moment across. Um, but for me, I, I, if you were going to just sit down with a chunk of young justice issues there, there were, there were some issues because this it's 17 issues right now. And, and I feel like maybe what he started is finally maybe coming close to, to, to concluding. Whereas there were some issues that I don't want to say they were slower. They weren't filler, but, but they were the, the, the pacing wasn't necessarily off. It just, it felt like, I don't know why, it took so long to get from there to here. And, um, and they may look great because, you know, if John Timms is going to, John Timms is a phenomenal artist. I love the way he draws these kids. Uh, so I'm not mad at, at, you know, looking at 20, 22 pages of his art. Um, but when I look over like the past three or four or five issues and I did, did it really take that long to get from there to here instead of like, is this, is this now what everybody's complaining about when they talk about the way that this writes? It's like, so did he just write these past, did this issue just become a trade because of, of how long it took to get here? Or was there an actual, did it really need to be five issues? And I don't know if every issue of young justice, I think some of the issues could have been 
right condensed or trimmed down but but they're still but i'm happy we got where we are it it may have been may have taken a little longer but um but i i i can't complain where where, where we ended up yeah i think i'm gonna give it a look at some point i mean i have a, an enormous pile of comics i need to read but i'll at some point add this to the to the stack i'll call it max cheap graphic novels and get them to hook it up there you go no no offense to our our beloved sponsor of course Gotta do what you gotta How's do. Max doing? That's my boy. Uh, he's doing actually. In the pandemic, he's been killing it. Like, uh, nice. He's he's been doing really great. Uh, like, I've talked to stores that have had a real hard time with it, and I've talked to stores that have had a, uh, just an amazing time with it. And because he's uh, like a like a DCBS uh, or like a in stock trades format where he's just selling collections and stuff. Uh, the DC shit hasn't really fucked him up too much, uh, personally. Right. I don't think, although he's mad about it for you know other reasons. I'm sure he'll tell me how wrong I am right now. But like, it hasn't derailed him uh, very much because he's just dealing with collections anyway. So like, he doesn't have to worry about the weeklies. Um, and he's been doing great. Like, apparently, people stuck at home want to read uh, classy hardcovers. So. Mm. I get it. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing a bunch of it. When I'm when I'm not working, I'm reading. I, I don't I definitely don't go outside. Smart man. I stay right here. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, thank you for listening to this. Remember, if you want to get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your damn door. There's one stop you need to make, and that's discount comic book service, DCBService.com has everything you want in the previous catalog for a mere fraction of the price. Conan the Barbarian by Aaron and Asrar. Legendary stuff. $17.49. Scumbag, number one. Remender, La Rosa, Denicio, $1.99. And our good buddy Daniel Warren Johnson, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth hardcover. All four issues, one cover, $30. Ha, 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 that's you. (laughs) $14.99. DCBService.com. In your travels... If you're prone to melancholia, this book may either be the best thing for you or the absolute worst. You decide. Uh, it's written and illustrated by Borja Gonzalez, published by Abrams Comic Arts. It's a 118-page hardcover. It's called A Gift for a Ghost. Any you guys hear about this? No. I don't think it, so is amazing um uh, i i really am not going to spoil the the meaty bits because i think they are so well done that i would hate to squash anyone's appreciation by by giving them a little bit of a heads up going into it it's it's a story that kind of stretches across time there's two timelines in this story both involving very unique young ladies. The first is set in 1856, which was a leap year, by the way, and focuses on a young lady named Teresa. Teresa is kind of prone to nocturnal wandering. She's very unique, very headstrong. Um, now, this is 1856, remember. She's preoccupied with things that a teenage girl from a well-to-do family, uh, a young girl that's nearing her coming out party. Remember how they used to have to do that? 
they used to have their what they call it their their uh, debutante ball yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So she's approaching this event, um, and she's her family is is in this certain societal circle that demands a certain kind of behavior and Teresa does not fit the bill. She loves fantastic things like space and other worlds and darkness. And she likes to express herself using words that one might deem obscene. You know, she drops F bombs a lot. Um, she, she puts on a Lovecraftian puppet show for her younger sister, Rose and, and scares the shit out of the kid. You know, um, she likes to write poems, but but not poetry in accord uh, with the time period. She she has this this strange edge that she likes to write poems about a character called Ghost Rider who rides a self propelled bicycle of fire, <laughs> and the mother's like, "What in the hell are you talking about?" Um, so she she has this this. Um, debutante thing coming up and the mother's like please just write a normal poem just recite a normal poem wear your goddamn great dress and please just please your mother because when Teresa doesn't want to act or live in a way prescribed by society she wants to be herself she wants to create and think and feel in in fulfilling ways not in this masquerade under which everybody else conducts themselves and she she it, it's eating at her right and she does things and she she drops f-bombs and she scares her young daughter or her sister um it's very telling that Teresa has three sisters and all of them are named after flowers there's rose that's the youngest gardenia and daisy so the mom named three of her kids after flowers but decided that Teresa was going to be trouble she had a premonition and she named her Teresa. So it, you know, the, she's the black sheep of the family, um, and then you, the storyline shifts to 2016, where you get Laura, who's also an eccentric young lady. She loves to dress in costume, regardless of the occasion, and, and she's the lyricist for the Black Holes, uh, a, 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 a trio of young ladies who want to make a punk band, and um, Laura writes. The lyrics, which are oddball and and perubu ish, um, there's a mysterious magic lake ice cream shop that seems to be open twenty four hours a day. Um, so how did these two storylines interconnect? I don't really think I should tell you, but they do. They 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 dovetail, and the the book is loaded with butterflies in both time periods and that's extremely telling because this is a story that illustrates the butterfly effect a character from the past does something and the little wings of this butterfly beat across time and her actions have repercussions with a girl who lives in 2016 the book is also littered with reflections which also plays into the conceptual hook of the book where um the title, for instance, A Gift for a Ghost. Um, Laura, at one point in the, the story, dresses as a skeleton costume. And at another point, she dresses in a, in a sheet. She's a ghost. Uh, so it's very conceptual. There's a lot of symbolism and a lot of um, uh, 
conceptual undertones in the book that play out if you read the whole thing. But uh, is it a feel-good book? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, th- there's there's a, a, a melancholy edge to it that um, these these young ladies just want to be themselves. And sometimes they screw up uh, being themselves uh, and they feel like maybe the world is asking them to repent for their actions, but they don't want to. They just want to be themselves and you can't fault them for that, right? So if, you, if you're looking for something off the beaten path, the, the art is, it's in the Mignola camp. It's very clean line, but there's a lot of, a lot of heavy blacks, but it's not as angular as Mignola. Um, but if if you drop this down in front of someone and you said, first thing that comes to your mind, they're going to, more often than not, if they're learned in, in comic book illustration, they'll probably say, it looks a little like Mignola. Do they ever have faces? Uh, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't want to really get into it. No. Okay. I think, yeah, that's part of the book that, no, you experience it for yourself, right? There are, there are things um, symbolically buried in the past that, take root in the future so, it, so that's part of it yes it's awesome it is an amazing okay. work um it's a little tiny thing it will not tiny but it's it's i don't know the proportions of it but it's it's not comic book size it's a little little under that hardcover it's great it's uh 24.99 but you can get it cheaper at um anything we've mentioned here it, it's wonderful it's definitely going to be on a lot of best of lists at the end of the year interesting yeah it's wonderful gift for a ghost Borja Gonzalez, Abrams Comic Arts, knocked it right out of the friggin' park. But you're not going to dance after you read it. Nope, I'm not going to say anything. It's just, it, there's a, there's a, a hole. I, I had a hole after I read it. It's great. Interesting. Yeah, it's great. That's all I got. Uh, in your travels, um, now I need to go back and pick up where I left off at the first part of this run, but um, in your travels, Dr. Strange, Surgeon Supreme. The sixth issue was released this week, and the sixth issue seems to conclude Mark Wade's run with the character. Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about that, because not, not because I'm... I'm don't want it to end or, or I'd love to see him continue with the character, but um, I'm not sure we got a lot of closure in this sixth issue. I've read five and six um, and early on, and you all saw the cancer demon that Kev Walker drew in the first issue. And, and it's, it, it, Walker's work has been amazing in, in these six issues. And, um, and it's you know, Stephen, not only being the Sorcerer Supreme, but uh, splitting his time so that he can be an actual surgeon and helping people physically in a hospital. Um, we were reintroduced to Anthony Ludgate, Dr. Druid. We were introduced to Kermit, Dr. Strange's assistant, administrative assistant, um, the uh, and the head of the hospital, um, who made sure she made sure that everything was above board. Um and we find out in the fifth issue who has been responsible for items being stolen, mystical items being stolen from Strange's forge. Um, and I'm not going to spoil the reveal, but um, 
the the sixth issue, Strange and Druid team up to defeat the villain. Um, and there's something weird because during the uh, during the battle, when Doctor Druid is um, holding a minion at bay, it looks like one of his arms, his right arm. Um, turns to wood like, as if it's just tree bark. Uh, I mean, he still has fingers, but but it looks like it it looks like withered tree uh, with a green, glowy, mystic-y um, light emanating from it. Doctor Strange never sees his right arm, um, and as Doctor Strange is doing his speech to um, to the big bad now that they've been vanquished. Um, we see Dr. Druid in the back uh, pulling his shirt sleeve down and, and adjusting the, uh, the cuff to cover his arm. And um, when they go to leave the dimension that they're in to go back home, um, Druid constantly keeps the right arm out of Strange's field of vision. Um, but the last panel is as they walk through the portal, uh, Strange is in front of him, not looking behind him. We see in the shadows, uh, we see it as the shadow is a silhouette. Um, Ludgate is looking down at his right hand as he's walking through the portal. And that's, that's the, the end of the issue. You turn the page and there's a dear reader letter from Wade, um, thanking us for reading and, and, um, and that, you know, the, the fun he's had writing this character, um, thanking the artist that he's worked with. Um, and, it, uh, um, there's still, um, we still have to find out who has been sending Dr. Strange, these weird mystery messages and why, uh, and Wade says, I hope I don't have to take that secret to my grave because it's a good one. So, Thankfully, you know, Wade's a good writer. He, he leaves things for future writers to to pick up and run with. Um, you know, it's these six issues. It's 20 or 21 issues of the previous volume and an annual. Um, so this could make a, a, a nice size Mark Wade's complete Strange collection. Um, I do have to go back and finish reading the previous volume because I just jumped on this when it started because I wanted to read it new and it was fresh. So now I can go back and read the old one and, and see how we got here. But, um, I, it, again, it just, it just ended. Now, I don't know if that, now there is no Dr. Strange in, in this month's previews or wasn't one in last month's previews. All we have right now is strange Academy, which is fine because it's great. Uh, but I don't know if there's going to be a single Dr. Strange series in the very near future. I don't know if, um, I don't know if Wade's coming back to the character. It doesn't sound like it, so I don't know what anyone has planned. I don't know what's going to happen to these characters at the um, at the hospital. Like nothing. There was it. It was just the end of a story, which is fine. I wonder if it's a, uh, a coronavirus thing. Like a lot of these books that that were running before the shutdown, you know, got shut down. But there's a um, and it 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 very well could. Um, but there is a in the fifth issue. There's a letter from um, 
CB, where he is, um, oh no, maybe it's in the Guardians of the Galaxy, um, where he's he's thanking CB Sapolsky is is you know saying that you know we're back. It's it's been a crazy um, couple of months, but uh, and yeah, there are eight books on this page, but um, oh yeah, I remember that. So so yeah, so it, it, I. I don't know. I don't remember the solicit. I didn't read the solicit because I was just, I'm getting the book anyway. So I don't know if it said final issue or if it was ever meant to be six. This particular run was supposed to be six issues. It just it it reminds me of a random issue of of Amazing Spider-Man where you know it was just it was the end of the issue, and you know the rest of the people in the Daily Bugle, you know, their lives still go on. It doesn't mean you need to know every little thing about every character in the building. Um, you may come across them again later, but it just, it, it was weird the way, you know, the way it's like saying goodbye to these characters, but he didn't, he didn't actually say goodbye to the characters, which is fine. They're not his technically. So someone else can play with them, but it was just, there wasn't really, you get to the end of this, you read this letter and, and I don't, there wasn't a whole lot of closure, I think for me at least, but, uh, maybe other people feel different, but I, it's a beautiful looking run. Um, it's uh, the big bath threw me for a loop. It was it, it's a weird six issues because again, it's not your traditional Doctor Strange tale where he's he's taking on Dormammu or or Nightmare. It's just it's it's the the first issue he goes up against you know the Wrecker. So it's like I don't it's it's very acts of vengeancey and and. Um, <laughs> And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it was just, it was, I'm reading it because it's Doctor Strange and, and it's Mark Wade and, and Kim Walker's drawing the shit out of it. But so it was, it was a great, all of these are great reasons. It was just, it was, it's a weird Doctor Strange book, but it's something I'd still, it's not something I'd give somebody, oh, you saw the movie? You got to read this. No, I, this is something you can read later on after you've read other Doctor Strange tales, but um, it's, uh it's weird. I just, I don't know how I feel about it now that it's over or, or what it means now that this particular run is over. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm in a weird limbo with, with the character in this title. So, but in your travels, I definitely recommend it. If, if, um, if, if you're comfortable reading Dr. Strange in a not so standard, if there is such a thing, Dr. Strange setting. <laughs> I just read a bunch of Kev Walker. I read through uh, all of the Dr. Aphra. Uh, the oh, Star Wars stuff, yeah. He drew, I mean, he was like the main artist on that for, for a good chunk of it. And uh, it was very charming. I like that book quite a bit. Um, in your travels, I, uh, there are two issues of this are out so far. So I can't give it the full, uh, you know, if you buy the trade paperback and the last part of it sucks, I'm sorry. Uh, but it's uh, Empire X-Men. Uh, which is a, a tie-in to this uh, Marvel event. Empire itself, I'm sort of like uh, shaky-handy about. Like, it's fine. Uh, you know, there's uh, plants are invading the planet Earth, and the Avengers and the Fantastic Four have to team up and stop them. And, and the point we're at right now is uh, they're not really teamed up, and then nobody's really stopping them yet. They're just all sort of fighting around. And then Teddy from the young Avengers is just like a space King. And, uh, right now it seems like he's uh, going to let him blow up the whole earth. 
to stop these plants from taking root in Earth and uh, and and then and then being able to shoot spores to the rest of the galaxy or something. I don't know. It's plants. I can't. I'm not too afraid of plants. I feel like I see these plants fighting the superheroes, and I'm like, they look tough. But I, if you told me I had to fight any kind of plant, even like. Audrey too, I'd be like, I feel like I could probably take that plant. And I'm not physical at all. Like I just sit and draw all day. So it's they've really got their work cut out for them making these plants threatening in the main series. But in the X Men uh tie in, I obviously would never have just ran out and grabbed this, but I like that it was by the team that's doing the main books, like it's Hickman and it's the uh, Teeny Howard, Howard right? Jerry yeah. Duggan, Ben Percy, Leah Williams. Like it's just that whole team. You hear that they have like a Slack chat, you know? And I feel like <laughs> they just sort of like pass this thing around on Slack chat and, uh, and write this thing. It's super fun. Um, in the first issue, the premise is uh, before all the, uh, Hox Pox happens. Uh, Wanda goes to Doctor Strange, and she's uh, she's all fucked up about uh, no more mutants. Still, I mean, she's really carrying this around for years. And he's like, "Look, I can't do anything to help you with that. You know, like we've tried. Uh, I, I can't. Like this is something you have to come to terms with. Like we, you can't undo this." And she goes to Genosha anyway, and says and does a spell to bring back the mutants. Like she builds a. A staff. She goes on this vision quest, you know, to like find this pieces of the staff, and then like an actual quest to find more pieces of it. And she builds this whole thing together, and she does this spell to bring back the mutants, and uh, she brings them back as zombies. Uh, and so, just on Genosha, all this time there have just been like zombie mutant uprising happening. Uh, and when the the aliens show up, these plant people, they land in Genosha, and they're like, "Oh, there's people here. They're here. They come." And it's uh, it's alien plants versus mutant zombies. Like that's the premise of this thing. So they're just, uh, they're, they're have, they have to deal with plants and zombies, which is funny. And because so much of, uh, of the Hickman X-Men stuff is tied in with plants and Krakoa, like that gets wrapped up in it too. Um, and, uh, and all kinds of fun stuff happening. My favorite part so far is uh, I, I feel like I can tell when it's Leah Williams because I follow her on Twitter and sometimes these characters say stuff that is uh, uncharacteristically hilarious. Uh, so Magic takes one of these plant aliens by the shirt collar and pulls it up to her face and she's like, you heard my friend, get your bulbs back in that ship and get the hell off our planet. The X-Men killed a billion broccolis once, so what's a couple more? <laughs> I thought that was good. <laughs> A little continuity joke for the the people that remember the most famous X-Men story of all time. Um, but yeah, it's been super fun. I mean, it's it's one of these tie-in uh, uh, event things. So it's like just a ton of people work on it, but it looks nice and it's funny. It's breezy. Uh, and I, uh, obviously the main event has to be event-y, you know, like rarely are those breezy and fun like that. They're just sort of like big thing happens, big thing happens, holy shit, big thing happens. Uh, and this one, because it's on the on the edges, gets to be a lot more fun. So I recommend it. X-Men, Empire, Empire X-Men. Nice. Excellent. It's usually the case when the tie-ins are, are sometimes more entertaining than the, than the main storyline. They're either, either completely shit, like disposable, who cares, or they're super fun. Yeah. I feel like there's not a lot of in-between. Like Millennium. Oh, well, you can from Millennium were fun. Yeah, yeah. You, how much radical plot 
twists can you do in a tie-in that has to make sense in the main continuity. So they, they're working with what little they have. Somebody ducked down an alley in the main story. Just flesh that yeah. out a bit, you know? I um, feel like the last time, one last time I was on, I recommended something out of like a, a War of the Realms tie-in comic too. Like I, somehow I'll always find something fun in those things. Truth. My weird, my weird kink. Yeah, you are weird. But we, <laughs> we're grateful for having you. Oh, yeah. I was happy to be here. This was a, a welcome uh, change of pace from my normal sitting around talking about comics all day. <laughs> <laughs> it was a treat. Uh, Remember, everybody, if you like this, there are there's more of the same, albeit in a different form, on the Twitter and the Reddit and the Instagram and the Facebooks. Uh, please check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Love your loved ones. Be safe. Go out and have a good time, but don't go near people and buy a lot of comics. In the meantime, say goodnight. <laughs> Music concrete. David. Nice. Goodnight. Love it. Oops. There we go. I gra- no, I grabbed it too low on the shaft. What the hell, man? Yeah, sorry. I'm going off my rhythm now. It's going to kill me. too low on the shaft. I don't know yeah. what to say, David. Yeah. All right. Nice. We'll be back. That's a we warning. Thank you so much. <laughs> we do. Oh. Maybe Jason will be back. Who knows? Hey. That's it for that one. <laughs>